Podcast City Network. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to The Everett Lee Show. A shot of entertainment to the head. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the entertainment. What's happening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Everett Lee Show podcast. I am the Everett Lee. I want to thank everyone who follows me on social media and right here on Podcast City Network's Twitch page, Podcast City Network on Twitch.tv, and reviewing right now on the Everett Lee Show Facebook page. There's a couple of things I got to get off my chest, a couple things that I really need to get off because I don't want to sound too much like a loose cannon as I am, Everett Lee can be at times. So I want to address something right now to the viewers and listeners. Be sure to head out to City Limits Tap Room on March 7th for the Podcast C Network two-year anniversary show with the hometown throwdown, Seven Kingdoms, will be there on March 7th, Saturday, at City Limits Tap Room in Deland, Florida. Podcast City Network will be there, and we will be covering and having some interviews and just having a good time. So be sure to head out to City Limits Tap Room and celebrate our two-year anniversary and our hometown band, Seven Kingdoms. It's going to be a great time, ladies and gentlemen, a great time. And, of course, it's going to be a great time tonight here on this podcast. Returning to the podcast for his third appearance on the Everett Lee Show. None other than the true master of wrestling ring music, Hurricane J.J. McGuire. How you doing tonight, Mr. McGuire? Hey, 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 E.L., I'm... Right here, standing by, talking to you, enjoying the wonderful uh, Kentucky evening up here, where tonight it's going down to about uh, 30 degrees, but tomorrow it's going to be 50-something, and then it's going to snow the next day, so come on down, we've got it all. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. I may have to pull out my vinyls there, JJ, like we were discussing before going, going live. I may have to pull out my vinyls. We were sitting there discussing about the vinyls that I picked up recently and one of the ones we were talking about was Led Zeppelin man just a good good vinyl right there with some good songs just some great great track listings on that album classic yeah yeah it classic it is it is and you were telling me and I mentioned it to you that Stairway to Heaven is the most download song ever from Led Zeppelin's catalog that's correct, and it's uh, kind of like Sexy Boy being the most played entrance theme in wrestling history. Yes, it is. It is. It is. It's uh, Led Zeppelin 1, man. It just has some great songs on there, and Stairway to Heaven is the most downloaded song out of Led Zeppelin catalog, and the number two would have to be one of my favorite Led Zeppelin songs. It would have to be Cashmere, man. Just Cashmere. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I love it. Just just the tone of that song and just the orchestra behind it, just it brings that Mm. song out to life there. 
Oh, definitely. Definitely. It's a masterpiece that all that, everything they did to me is a masterpiece. And they, they really created a pathway for even groups like uh, seven kingdoms that you guys uh, work with some, whatever they, they'll tell you Led Zeppelin's really got the stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty in, influ you know, influence. Um, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Help me out here influential to young bands especially you got that you get that yeah. one band out there called um greta i think it is uh van greta or greta van, uh, greta van fleet my son yes. loves them he brought the first uh album over and we, we listened to it and wow they sound a lot have a lot of uh 70s influence and led zeppelinish type riffs and Really good, really great, really. I really liked it, you know, and uh, I thought it was good. But my son and his age bracket, they're 16, 17 years old, and uh, he turned me on to them, and I liked them. Then I saw them on, uh, I believe, Saturday Night Live, and they really kicked it. It was really great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like them, they, and, but they stayed, they stayed true to the uh, more old-school, uh, original classic rock that you call now. But when it all came out, it was just uh, hard rock, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they mm -hmm. it's it's unusual it's unusual to see a young band like that uh, have that influence oh, nowadays. Yeah. Nowadays, I know back yes. during the early '90s, 2000s, you had bands popping mm -hmm. up that had that influence and stuff. There was one band I remember from the mm -hmm. early late '90s, early 2000s. They were called uh, mm -hmm. the Darkness. They had that old like '80s hard rock feel sound, and they were a great band. They were I think they were from mm -hmm. Australia, around uh, the mm -hmm. same area as ACDC. Yeah. Yeah, they. Yeah, the classic stuff is uh, uh, really it's a good uh, something that the younger bands, you know, they they acknowledge that there's elements of that that they're using in what they do, but there's new things created, and uh, you know, actually, uh, rock, the genre of rock music doesn't exist anymore. Technically, mm -hmm. it's gone. It is. Uh, there's no category for that anymore, uh, which is kind of mind-boggling to me, but. Uh, there's just a lot of influences, but uh, no, I agree with you. That Led Zeppelin one, especially I had a, this is uh, how young that I am. I had an eight track of Led Zeppelin one. Look out <laughs> a 69, a 69 Camaro super sport with an eight track on the console. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Led Zeppelin one on eight track tape. <laughs> we had it made. I tell you. Everett, uh, it was a good time. Yeah, it is. It is. And tonight, besides the talking, talking about your themes that you and Jimmy Hart threw together, and the last couple times I've had you on, we've talked a lot about your life starting out, growing up, growing up in Kentucky, and making it to where you're at now. But there is a lot of stories that people really don't know much didn't know about or only close friends and family knew knew about the stories that we're going to be talking about tonight because a lot of it's in your book that was released here just a few months ago at, towards the end of uh, right. 2019 i believe it was october or august of 2019 your book was yeah it was released. late 2019 about i think november it was uh, finally a, a, an official release yeah mm -hmm. Yeah, my life in Heaven Town. In in the book, you talk about starting out and making your way into the gentries, into 
WWE and getting into that with Jimmy, creating great ring entrance music and in and so forth. But what a lot of the stories that's in there is really, really good. And one one of the things that I, w- I want to mention about is that last year, do you remember last year when you were down here in uh, Daytona for the uh, when we did the first first year uh, show for Podcasting Network? Remember you stayed with me? Yes, sir. I remember it vividly, and it was great. <laughs> I had a great time. Really Jimmy, did. Loved it all. Uh, everything from the family element to the nightclub setting to uh, Disney to you name it. We hit all the high spots once again. We did. We did. Mm-hmm. One of the things. Did. Oh, oh, not to mention the WWE Performance Center. Yes. Yeah. Fans out there of wrestling. <laughs> we did. We uh, hooked right into the, uh, but it took the Google map and two or three other applications and some secret government files to find the place. <laughs> It did. That's, that is buried. buried it really like, did. It really, I'm not kidding. It did. <laughs> yeah, we know. It's like buried yeah. like Area 51, and, man. <laughs> yeah. But when we got there, everybody had already gone home except for one guy that was closing up. So yeah. So I had an 8 by 10 picture of the wrestling boot band that we were carrying. That I, always, we, you know, I carry with me to give to people. And uh-huh. I was dressed up in my full regalia outfit because I'd been making a little performance earlier. So... There we were, and uh, uh, we knock on the door, and the guy opens the door, and he's one of the trainers down there. His name is uh, Sean. I can't remember his last name. Right. And he said, everybody's gone, but um, I'm just turning all the lights off and leaving. But uh, And I said, well, that's okay. We we didn't notify the office or anything. We just thought we'd stop by. But here's a free signed 8x10 of the Wrestling Boot Band. And uh, he stepped out and gave me a big brother hug, and uh, Denver and I looked at each other like, we're having a good time, and we got back in the car and <laughs> and talked about it. We're still talking about it. Yeah, Going to are. the performance center. We are. <laughs> yeah, yes, because we are, ladies and gentlemen. We went down. We went to. That's where we shot. I was your cameraman that day for for filming the yes, footage are. for at Hogan's Beach Shop there. Yeah, type in uh, the the folks can time in uh, folks. You know, you know, I'm from Kentucky when I call the great people folks, but uh, the people can uh, type uh, in um, Hurricane JJ Hogan's Beach Shop promo, and you can see the fine camera work that Everett Lee did that day. <laughs> A lot of people don't know I did that, which is which is amazing. Well, they're known now. We're going to tell everybody, and uh, the royalties should start coming in anytime every for you. <laughs> they'll start they'll start rolling in there. That that would be great. <laughs> that definitely be great. Yeah, I buy more diapers for my daughter. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, lifetime supply, no problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. That that was that was a fun day. That was a fun day, and then. Going out to the one year show. We just show. crash dove on everybody. We we didn't let anybody know we were coming. Uh, the beach shop Hulk didn't know I was coming because he was out of town. He and Jimmy were out of, out of Florida. They were out in California doing another show, and uh, so I just said let's let's go up and just show up. So I dressed up in my Hurricane JJ uh, wrestling outfit, uh, managerial type look. Uh, I don't actually wrestle, but uh, you know I do some managing around the outside of the ring. Mm-hmm. as well as music and so i was dressed up and you'll see in the video uh hurricane jj hogan's beach shop promo and have a have a laugh on us but it's really very informative i'm in the viper that hulk just sold for charity 
and he gave all the money to a great charity. And uh, but I didn't know that he would ever sell that uh, or what have you. But luckily, Everett and I were there. Everett did the camera work. We just jumped in there, and I jumped in the Viper in the showroom of the beach shop, and we did our thing. And uh, so, folks and ladies and gentlemen and great friends and fans, jump down there and take a look. You'll enjoy it. I promise you. It was fun. It was. It definitely. It definitely was fun. Just doing that and hanging out that day, and. We we spent the whole about basically the whole day there, and we came back, and then we uh, later on that later on that week there we had the one year show, which was great, and then oh you, yeah, you that was fabulous, man. Yeah, yeah, you performed. You performed really, it really was. Show. It was awesome. Uh, great. Uh, uh, I, I you know well you tell them what happened. You're the, you know. <laughs> I know. I'll let you tell them. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, well Hurricane JJ McGuire decided. And uh, we we have we had him come up on the, the stage there towards he did a couple songs with the with the uh, Craig Craig Thompson project the reggae band that we had playing there that night he he performed Craig band by the way yeah. uh, really these guys most reggae kind of sounds the same and similar and you heard it before and so on nope not here these guys they take the reggae form and format and really ping pong that thing up to where it's more like on the edge of jazz almost and rock too. I mean, it, they, they were fantastic, man. I they inspired me so much. I had to play some drums with them. Just, that was it. It was all that they, I wasn't planning to do that because y'all had me, uh, you know, be featured in the uh, show by myself with my tracks that I had playing behind me and everything. But, Wow, they were so great that I, I I went, man. There's no way I'm leaving here without playing drums with this great band, <laughs> the Craig Thompson Project. Craig Thompson Project, yeah, great. Yeah, just great, just, Craig. You hear me, Craig? If you're out there listening, great. <laughs> just a, just a great band, just a great band. You you got on yeah, got on there and played yeah. drums. I shot the sh- shot the sheriff Tyler from Seven Kingdoms. He was running sound that night, and he comes over and he says. He says, "There's the drummer walking back, coming back from uh, from the inside there, you know, with uh, with something to drink, something to eat, taking taking five. And it's like yeah. Tyler looked at me and said, "Who's playing drums?" He looked up to you and said, "Is it JJ up there?" And everyone said, everyone stood up and they leaned in and they said, "JJ's playing drums," and it was it was great. It, it was such a great great time, great performance, and it was it was just it was just fun. And then. We finally, it was around that time when the Royal Rumble was happening, the 2019 Royal Rumble, and we yeah. went to Jimmy's Jimmy's place there when he was still here in Daytona, and yeah, Jimmy yeah, showed up. Did. Jimmy showed up late because he uh, he he was Jimmy out. Hart. Yep. yep, the mouth of the south. Mouth of the south, everybody. Mouth of the south himself. Mouth His own south. club and yep. Hall of Fame, man. Great. Yeah, we in Denver once again. <laughs> mastering the lens technique yep. yes he did and yeah. made us look like somebody thanks everett you're welcome man you're everett, welcome. You know everett I'm your... d lee that's you <laughs> you know i'm your cameraman whenever you need a cameraman you know almost like your wingman uh-huh. i'd be your wingman if you needed a wingman <laughs> uh you know if, if wwe knew what you know and well they do but they knew that you know what you know you would be up there right now, uh, right on the front line of that whole industry of theirs, because you yourself 
I was so impressed when I first met you of how not ultra knowledgeable you are about uh, the facts, especially behind uh, wrestling, uh, you know, professional wrestling from way, way back and so on. You know, you're like a walking encyclopedia uh, of events and matches and talent. And wow, uh, WWE could really use a, a announcer or a show, you know, just a show with a person like you, you know, to answer all those hardcore fan questions that you've got to know your stuff to know all that, you know, and you're, you're the man, you know, you know, it. If I need <laughs> to know what year, what WrestleMania had, whoever I just called Everett Lee, Everett Lee instantly tells me what I want to know. Yeah. I, I pretty, I pretty much, I, I pay attention yes, to little details and stuff, the details and, uh, yes, and stuff that no one, no one really does, but, um, I'm just, that's just how, how I am and just how I handle myself. And, uh, speak, speaking of wrestling, I pulled up on the network. I was showing you WWE network because you weren't really too, you weren't too aware of the WWE network of what, what stuff was on there. And no. I showed you, I said, I said, Hey, look, they got some mid South wrestling. You said, okay. So we threw on some mid South wrestling and we watched, we watched, uh, Coco yeah. beware. It was before uh, he was uh, before he was in WWE, and then uh, Lanny Lanny Poffo before he was yep. before he was the genius, yep. and they had had some great matches. Junkyard Dog, we've seen him in there, and just I, it was it was great. We're sitting there watching the stuff, and it is just it was really really great. But I enjoyed I enjoyed going up there and seeing you and Jimmy Hart interact. That was that was the highlight of my night right there after the Royal Rumble, because <laughs> Jimmy didn't know you were staying with me, and it, it, right when everything was over, he's like, "Okay, baby, thanks for coming." And, and I, he shook my hand, he walked off, but I was standing there, and I look, and I'm like, "He, he probably doesn't know I'm not leaving. I'm I drove you here." <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, he didn't know. He didn't know. No. Yeah. 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 He, it was he, great. Uh, you know, uh, that was fun crash diving in there, too. And we did a little promo also, which is uh, online. You can see also it's uh, Hurricane JJ promo at Jimmy Hart's uh, bar. I think it's what it is. Uh, something like mm -hmm. that. Yeah, Jimmy Hart's uh, uh, yeah. Hall of Fame bar and grill. I think I think that's what it is. I'm yeah, Hall of Fame bar and grill. Hurricane JJ, Jimmy Hart, uh, Hall of Fame bar, bar and grill. That's it. Mm -hmm. It's a mouthful. Yeah, it but, is. Uh, it is a mouthful. Yeah, well, Jimmy and I did a little interview, and you did the camera work again. Everett Lee was right on the lens once again, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, I was. We didn't cell phone it, by the way. We we went a step beyond uh, cell phone video. Not that it's not really uh, up there, pretty great right now. But the the camera, I had a, a really decent uh, high definition uh, MP4 camera, right. you know, and we shot it in high, real high res and. Looks real good, but thanks a lot. You know, you really did a great job on that, by the way. Oh, why? Why? Thank you. Why? Thank you. Of course, I, I'm always, I, I'm always your cameraman. If I'm around and you had a camera, you say, "Everett, hold this." There I am. I'm holding that camera, and you direct me, tell You're me perfect. where I need to go. <laughs> well, we might make a movie one day with uh, some of the wrestlers that we know, like Jimmy and different people and Honky, and uh, put something together one day. You never know what might happen. And, yeah, it might be something we'll do. You never know, but uh, no, that was a lot of fun. And I think uh, you have those videos on file, don't you? 
I believe so. I believe so because it's getting. If to the you point. want to post those, po- go post those on your uh, Podcast City Network uh, site. It's okay with us. We'll send you a bill later. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's great. That's great. Send me a bill. Later. <laughs> yeah. Well. Well, I got Bob Hope to laugh one time, so I must. Uh, and, I, and Jimmy Hart laugh, laugh at me all the time. His wife always said, McGuire, Jimmy doesn't laugh at hardly anything, but he cracks up when you tell those stories. <laughs> I said, well, I can't help it. I'm just telling the truth. And only happens to me, you know, could only happen. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we had some great ribs and laughs and uh, on you know, on the road and stuff. Yeah, that's... WWF and E. That's one, that's one of the things, because after the Royal Rumble, we... We went. We went down the road. You, me, and uh, Jimmy. We went and we went to the Waffle yeah, House we and we ate. And we one of the things you said was, when you were and Jimmy were on the road back, back during the Gentries, back during that time with the Gentries, you traveled. Yeah. And about the only place that was open was a Waffle House. Could you, could you share share some stories being on the road with the with the Gentries, you and Jimmy Hart, and going town to town, and the the thing about the Waffle House? Yeah, well, well, after we got tomain poisoned about seven times at the Waffle House in different <laughs> states and places along the interstate, we got smart and switched over and stayed in towns where they had a Morrison's cafeteria or a cafeteria style place. Uh-huh. And that's what Jimmy and I went. I mean, we sat in there with octogenarians, you know, here we were in, I was in my twenties and Jimmy was in his uh, early thirties and whatever. And there we are. And we're sitting amongst, you know, 85 year old, 90 year old people and the, the silver birds and so on. And, and here's a couple of young uh, rock and roll guys, you know, in the Gentry's hit group, the Gentry's coming in and eating at Morrison's with them. But let me tell you, Jimmy was wise because the uh, the food was great and we never got poisoned at those cafeterias. But those waffle houses, you got to look out. If you get order tuna fish or mayonnaise that sat out overnight and they're throwing it on sandwiches, buddy, you're going to get the, the axe. It's going to get you. And uh, Jimmy wound up with hepatitis. We ate at one of them, Damn. and um, and he, yeah, he about died. Uh, he he came down with hepatitis and uh, had to go. He, he made it back to Memphis, and he they put him in the hospital, and he almost passed away. He was losing consciousness, and they he had a reaction to the one of the drugs they were giving him to uh, fight the hepatitis. And, right, uh, almost killed him. He said he saw his deceased uh, grandmother and uncle and people uh, were all around his bed and and looking at him. Damn, damn. He, he was he was on the the verge of death. Jimmy Hart was right there, and he pulled through on that. But now uh, I've eaten at the at Waffle Houses since then some, but I'm a little leery of uh, you know of eating at them because you know we in those days we hit them all the time but like i said jimmy and i wound up going to the Morrison's cafeteria so i don't know if they have them anymore right but they were really great they had everything you want uh-huh yeah the the waffle houses i believe when when me and me and my wife and my nephew and his friend back around 2017 we went to fort lauderdale we went to went to an roh ring of honor show and 
from here to Fort Lauderdale is just almost about maybe two two hours. And what we yeah. did was we went went down there and went to the ROH show. After it was over, we turned around and when we were coming back to Daytona, we got hungry. So we stopped off the interstate there and we stopped at a Waffle House. About one o'clock in the morning, we're sitting there in the middle of a Waffle House. It's just us and probably two other people. I'm probably thinking just the, just the, um, just the people there serving food, and we were just eating, eating. I don't even know what we were eating though, but uh, I think I was eating just just some waffles and eggs and some toast and bacon and stuff. Uh-oh. And eggs, look yeah. out. <laughs> Yeah. yeah 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 i and i mean the food food's all right i mean the food's great but it's you know it's nothing you know to uh get you know too you know crazy to go crazy over as as i always if you're if you're careful what of course you can uh get food poisoning anywhere in your even in your own home you know but uh, you just have to be careful uh, what you're ordering. Uh, one time, uh, Bob Evans, I ate outside Disney World, coming back uh, to Kentucky from going down on a vacation, just drove down and ate at a uh, Bob Evans, which I always liked and still do. But uh, I ate a turkey club sandwich, and that turkey had turned, and you couldn't tell. And I ate all that, and, buddy, I was sick for a week. You know, it really hit me hard, and I was bedridden. Jeez. and uh, dehydrated and everything but uh you know that can happen anywhere but uh, just be careful what you order out there you know on the road that's all i'm saying but uh yeah yeah uh it looks like it looks like uh we got dark suede dark suede suede says says he's on the cover of your book yeah he is uh yeah. he's in the corner uh, with his head kind of down a little bit, uh, the, the only way you can tell it's really he is by his outfit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But it is he. It is he. It, it is the dark suede. It is he. Yes, it is. Ha huh. Nice. Nice. That that's cool. That's yeah. Cool. Little little tidbit that I didn't yeah. know there. And uh, thanks for thanks for jumping in here tonight and uh, watching the uh, Everett Lee show here, uh, Dark Suede. That's that's pretty neat. Yeah, that's pretty neat. He he's yeah, and he's a good wrestler too. By the way, he's uh, he's a mean guy. Now he's evil, and you know if you thought Jimmy Hart was sneaky, uh, Dark Suede uh, owns the book on sneaky. <laughs> so, so you know, but but he is skillful. I'll give him credit where credits due. He's skillful, and. Uh, I would love to see one day if he if he drank some sort of special potion or something, and all of a sudden, poof, he turned into a good guy. I'd be really amazed to see what kind of good guy he he could be. You know, if he well, had a magic potion, but I doubt if that'll ever happen. Well, he says he misses you, JJ. Well, I miss him too, and uh, he's still working shows though. He does a he does a multitude of shows. He he's uh, He's really he's not with one identical complete company. He identifies with a couple of different companies, and uh, you know up north he he uh, wrestles and takes his meanness up north, and uh, he uh, works down in this area some too. And 
I believe he's been down in Tennessee some uh, with a couple of different organizations. So, yeah, he gets around, but uh, he's had some belts too. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's, a, he's a tough customer in the ring now. Yeah. I'm telling you. Yeah. Uh, if you've ever seen him, you'll know that. And, uh, oh, yeah. but um, he's done a lot of good, even with being mean and everything and sneaky, he's done a lot of good. He's helped raise money for charity, you know, and, when uh, we worked with uh, a couple of different companies up here, KZW and uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's helped in uh, taking his meanness, but channeled that into something good and helped uh, uh, make money for charity. that We gave uh, charity at, at every show. Yeah. And he was at most of the shows that I was at, that I worked in. Uh, you know, he uh, he was really part of taking his meanness, but uh, channeled that to all those people. Yeah. 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 So anyway, yeah, Swade's a good one. Uh, he's a bad one, but he's a good. He's a bad good one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's awesome. I like that. Yeah, I definitely, he really is. I definitely is. like that. But yeah, man, just just going traveling up and down the road with the gentries and just just uh, doing city by city and like hitting the yeah. overnight overnight diners and stuff. Now, is there anything that ever happened when when you traveled in the gentries, when you guys traveled, did you did mm-hmm. you all get in the car and then put all the instruments in the in the in the back and you just hit the road? Or how did that Well, go? we had a uh, we had a mid 70s uh um Vista Cruiser station wagon that we all rode in, and then we pulled a trailer behind that with all our gear and PA system and everything and lights and so on. Okay. So and we rode, we all rode in the station wagon, and then we kept our guitar, their guitars, and the delicate stuff was in the very back of the station wagon. But then the station wagon was pulling a a pretty good sized uh, dual tandem trailer. That means two wheels on each side, dual tandem. And, uh, you know, it had its own braking system and everything. It's a big outfit, but we hauled all our stage stuff and amplifiers and keyboards and drums and everything all in that uh, trailer. So we're all self-contained. There we are traveling together. And I only remember flying to maybe two dates out of, you know, maybe 80 dates. And maybe out of 80 dates that we played, only we only flew two times because everything was drivable, you know. and uh, and plus it was, it's, it was difficult to haul all that equipment on a plane. You can't, you know, it's very expensive, especially at that time. And, you know, it just wasn't practical. It was more practical to drive. And of course the group three dog night, that's the way they, they did it just like we did. They had a station wagon and pulled a truck and they had a number one record, you know, and they were, that's, they still traveled like that about through right. the whole career. They just, you know, uh, they pretty uh, you know pulled the trailer. Yeah, they 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 pretty much. That's that's what you did. You had the you had the trailer and you just took the car and you just yeah you just hit you you hit you hit, hit the highway stuff. baby. Yeah, hit, yeah, you in the open road, man. How how did that feel? Just just seeing places you never been. Great. Before. Oh, it's scenic. And of course, with the Vista Cruiser, the people sitting in the back seat behind the front seat, uh, you can look up and see the sky and everything through there. It's got like a windowish thing there all the way across. Okay. okay. Really nice. Yeah, really neat. Uh, uh, so you had, you could look up and see stuff, and you could look all around yourself. And then what was real cool is they pulled the jump seat in the back up, and it faced backwards, you know. So right. you're looking at the trailer. 
<laughs> and we'd, nice. we'd flip a coin to see who's going to sit in the jump seat back there. And two of us would sit back there. <laughs> wow. But now we broke down, uh, pulling all that, uh, garb. Uh, we broke down right outside Mobile, Alabama one time we were, I forget where we were heading. We weren't going to Mobile, Mobile, but we were, we had to go through there on the interstate to get to where we were going. Maybe we, we might've been going to actually Florida, I think. Uh-huh. So we got to Mobile, outside Mobile, Alabama, and the transmission broke uh, about mm, about eight, ten miles outside of Mobile, Alabama. Damn! And uh, we broke. Yeah, we broke down, and it was rough. It was raining. The weather was bad, and wind whipping them, you know, eighty mile an hour, and so on. But anyway, uh, we were real lucky. Some guy driving by. Uh, recognized us from playing another gig in another city or something, and he he was driving a tow truck for a company. <laughs> wow! And so he 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 pulled over and backed up and hooked us up and uh, pulled pulled us into the um, uh, he we unhooked the trailer and he pulled the station wagon yeah. and then he he called in on the radio and had another guy come out and pull in the trailer. For oh us. damn. I mean, yeah, but our bass player, Russ Riddle, had, he got disgusted with everything and he jumped out and thumbed to Mobile. <laughs> and he wound up, and he wound up at the same hotel that we did. Uh-huh. And he was sitting in the lobby when we walked in. But I mean, it's just like a movie, you know, like the monkeys or something, you know. Yeah. But that was a lot of fun. Uh, but I remember Mobile smelled like rotten eggs. That sulfur smell in the air. Oh, Lord, that, that really murders me, man. I, I hate that. Oh man, I, terrible! I, I, I mean, you can't get rid of that. I can only imagine. Like eggs now. <laughs> I can only imagine because I took a trip one time. My actually, my my uncle, my uncle passed away in I think it was twenty twenty seventeen two thousand seventeen. It was around July, right before Fourth of July. He passed away. We took a trip from here in Daytona. We got up at like 4 o'clock in the morning, I believe it was. It was about 4. Got up 4 o'clock in the morning, hit the road by at least 5 o'clock, and we were driving up to Georgia, about where he lived, in the middle of Georgia. And we took a detour, or we were following the GPS on Google Maps on where to go. And so we took a shortcut and it got us over to where we had to go, where it was just a straight shot up to the service for the funeral. And we went through, we went through Cartersville. We actually, we went through Cartersville, Georgia, or, and when we went through Cartersville, when we entered city limits, it says Cartersville city limits, or, um, I, I, I kid you not. It smelled like peanuts. You could smell peanuts, JJ. You could smell yeah. the peanuts. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, yeah. sm- we've traveled all over the United States, and we've got all the smells, brother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've had the peanuts. We've had the sulfur. We've had the, uh, you know, the cow, you know what, on the ground stuff and everything. <laughs> you, can't drive through, you can't drive through Texas without that smell. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So we, we went through. We went through Cartersville, and you could smell the peanut factories, man. You could you could smell that stuff, which was it was just it was neat yeah. because we were like, it's you smell those peanuts. Yeah, you can't escape it. Can't. I mean, the only way to get away from it is you'd have to pull in the uh, army surplus and buy a gas mask. 
Right, <laughs> right. So it made yeah. Then you then you look like a bunch of Nazis driving down the highway, and they gun you down. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the worst thing happening, man. Yeah. Our, our vacation, how it went wrong. We got <laughs> we stopped and bought. We didn't like the peanut smell, so we stopped and bought gas masks, and then the cops pulled us over because we looked like Nazis on a mission. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, but that was interesting because it was my wife, my my daughter. I yeah. think she was one years. She was a year old at the time, and my nephew came. Oh with yeah. Us. yeah, and we drove up there, and uh, we went up there, and we went to the service, paid our respects and everything. Now we get there. I'm in shorts. I'm in. I'm in regular shirt. I got my nice dress shirt, and I said, I said to my wife right before we left, I said, "Grab my khakis." She said, "Which ones?" I said, "Grab the ones that and they're distinguished." I said, "I said I hate to say this on air, but on a pair of khakis I got, I I rarely wear them anymore because of this." I said, "There's a little hole in the crotch there, a tiny hole." Grab those. I said, do not grab the ones with the tags on them still. They don't fit. Okay. We get there. We get into the funeral parlor, parlor and we for the service and stuff. I go in the bathroom. So my wife hands me all the clothes. I go in there and I start changing and everything. I put the pants on. As soon as I start to put the pants on, they cannot button. <laughs> I look down uh -oh. and I said, son of a bitch. Uh -oh. <laughs> she grabbed the wrong pants. Uh-oh. So I wore the shorts that I wore all the way up there with a nice button-up shirt <laughs> and my tennis shoes. And Well, that's okay. Yeah, it was okay. But You were there. You yeah, were there. there. The main thing is you were there. Yeah, that's how I, I was there. People were people were looking at me. And my, my family looked at me. They're my cousins. They're looking at me, and, I, and they looked down and looked up at me. I said, pants didn't fit. And they kind of laughed, and they said, well, we're glad you're here. So when we sat down, you couldn't tell, not unless I got up. But afterwards, paid my respects to my uncle. We we got back in the car, and we drove back to Daytona. We got back at Daytona at midnight. So we drove up there back within a few hours. <laughs> so that was that was something right there. But, yeah, I, I told her. I came out not wearing the pants, and, my, and Amanda said to me, she said, how come you're not wearing the pants? I said, you grab the wrong pants. Oh, they won't fit? I said, no, they won't fit. <laughs> my nephew's laughing. He's like, look at you. <laughs> I said, shut up. <laughs> horror beyond horrors, you know, those kind of things are just a horror beyond horrors. I know. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I just had, when you were talking there for a moment, something flashed in my mind. I remember speaking of a road trip. One time, uh, the Hebners, Earl and Dave, you know, the greatest referees that's ever lived, I guess, in my generation. I, I, there might be, uh, there's some great referees. Uh, Joey Morello was uh, great also, and we could go on yes. all night about some great refs and uh, all that. But uh, the audience, uh, most of them, they don't realize that ultimately how important uh, the referee is in every sport in wrestling or football or whatever. But anyway, the story. So the Jimmy Hart and the Hebners and myself, I was the wheel man and we were going up to West Virginia. Right. So we get up into, right. I can't remember the town up, up there, but it was really, you talk about 
uh, hillbilly and beat down, and it's a railroad town. Railroad tracks went through the middle of the town in about seven places, okay? Uh-huh. So, coal town, you know. And So anyway, um, we got a show up there. I guess it was Huntington, up in Huntington. I hope nobody listening is up in Huntington. But it's a nice town. The people were super nice. But the town's not much, wasn't much up there at that time. By now, uh, you know, 20-something years later, it might be a big boom town now. I don't know. I haven't been right. back in, in, since then. Yeah. But anyway, so there's the Hebners and Jimmy Hart and me, and we're up there. So we get a, uh, there's a Holiday Inn out there, oh, not too far from the uh, Coliseum where we're doing the show, mm-hmm. the WWF. And um, we get out there, and... All right, so we stay in the room, whatever we decide. We like to stay in the same room because we save money and we have a lot of laughs and ribs and, you know, the 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 old gimmick buddy thing, you know, like camping out, having laughs and fun. Yeah. Okay, so um, so they they had stayed there before, Jimmy and the Hebners, and uh, they uh, we had two rollaway cots and two king-size beds, and... Uh, Jimmy made me, you know, this is what a nice guy Jimmy Hart is. He made me sleep on the actual king-size bed. I mean, I was happy to be on a rollaway cot, just to be there and be a part of the action, you know, Yeah. and have fun. And, okay, so he insisted. He wouldn't let me. Uh, my feet were hanging over the the rollaway cot. wasn't long enough because I was six foot four. Right. And so uh, he said, you get on that bed right now, McGuire, and you take the bed. He said, I don't, he says, I can fit on this fine. I, you know me, I can sleep in a chair or standing up or anything. And Jimmy Hart can't. He can sleep anywhere at any moment. <laughs> like, poof, he's asleep. <laughs> so, uh, um, so yeah, he hit, he hit the roll away, and he was immediately asleep. Wow. And then it was really uh, kind of him to uh, give me the king-size bed. And then the Hebners, they're short, so... Uh, they slept on, um, uh, Dave, I think, uh, slept in the bed, and Earl slept on the rollaway. So Jimmy Hart and Earl were on the rollaways, and me and Dave were up on the separate king-size beds. So here we are. It's like the four stooges, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so, but they had stayed there before, and they knew something I didn't. So the next morning, they got up extra early and showered and got out of there quickly. Uh-huh. Well, I uh, they were riding from there on up north to do another show with uh, they were on a bus that they had rented. Right. So uh, for everybody. So I wonder why they get up so early, man. I mean, they could have slept longer, even though on their schedule. Uh-huh. Okay, here's why. <laughs> because the darn end of the building down there it floods when you take the shower in there, it overflows and comes out in under the wall somehow in the drain thing. And literally floods the whole room. You're walking on water. Jeez. And I jumped out of the bed and I splashed. Yeah. And I I was cussing to beat the devil. And I said, those happeners, I'm going to get them. They knew this, ha- this happens because they were kind of laughing going, you know, I kind of knew something was up, but I didn't know what. But, you know, they got me on that one. That was a great rib. I mean, it was horrible. And I remember then tromping through that water and then taking a shower and, and hiking it up more. I'm, I, honestly, there was an inch of water on the floor. Oh, man. You could swim, swim almost. Damn. And so I, I threw down stuff, and I, well, I jumped over the beds and used them to walk on rather than walking on that water. But I <laughs> said, all right, you guys. I said, thanks a lot. Yeah, we told you to sleep in and enjoy yourself, and you did, didn't you? And I went, yeah, I did. I went swimming. 
I did. They said, yeah, we knew that, that room down there. We'd stayed there before, and we knew that problem was there. <laughs> so Jeez. they got me on that one. That's, yes, sir. That's crazy, man. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that was wild. Wow. And and then Randy Savage, uh, uh, he was at that uh, gig with us, and then uh, he was going uh, back to Lexington, Kentucky, to see his uh, mom and dad. Right, and so Randy rode back down. He and I rode down in my uh, 1993 police package Camaro. Oh damn! Yeah, yeah. B four C. Yeah, I uh, had a 93 B boy four C. They uh-huh. say, "What's that B four C stand for, man?" Before court. <laughs> yep, that's what it stands for. Wow. And I had the cops actually pull me over. A couple of times just to look at the car. I wasn't speeding or nothing wrong. I had my seatbelt on and the whole right. thing. They knew that that was a B4C and they pulled it over. Just, and they just wanted to look at it. Just to yeah. look at the car. Just just to see the car. Yeah, what, yeah, yeah, just okay. to look. They said, I said, is there a problem? No, but we we were noticing that you're driving a police package. And I said, that's right. One of 134 in the whole world. <laughs> <laughs> Pardon me. <laughs> and uh, here, by the way, come back here, fellas. And I opened up the hatch on the back, and I pulled out a placard where I'd just been in a car show and won, you know, won a trophy right. for best car, uh, you know, best new car of car show. Mm-hmm. And and I said, and on the thing I had written, uh, Corvette V8, special, uh, you know, all the special things about it. The alternator was uh, heavier duty and so on, and, you know, it was hyped up and so right. forth and the different points of why it was better in a regular factory car, uh-huh. you know, op- you know, uh, equipped with the police package stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and it said, I had on there chase the bad guys and, and, and have fun too. They love that. <laughs> That's chase weird. the bad guys with it and have fun too while you're chasing. Them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they said, That's great. They said, man, oh man, thank you a lot. We appreciate it. But I didn't have my license with me. I'd left it at home. And my ex-wife and I had gone to Lexington to see a movie from, you know, uh, 100 miles from or 80 miles from Somerset. Right. And uh, we're we're on the way back. And so they pulled me over and I thought, well, I haven't done it. I've been on speed limit and everything. And uh, anyway, they wanted to look at the car. And so they were happy. You know, they got to look at it and check it all out. They said we were hoping that we might get one. But I said, well, the only ones in Kentucky, the D.A.R.E. program in Lexington ordered three, but they only had the money for two. And when they, when they came in, and a friend of mine that's the salesman there used to play in the Sounds Unlimited with me in my first professional band when I was a teenager in Somerset. Yeah. Uh, he was a salesman there, and he called me and said, J.J., I've got a car, man. you got to get up here. If you want a new car, this is it. This is it. And I went, okay. So I drove up there about 90 miles an hour and bought the car. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I had some great fun with that car, but Randy Savage um, picked him up, and when we were coming, uh, they let me pull down in the bottom of the Coliseum, and so Randy got in, but he hunkered down uh, in the back seat. He hunkered way down so that when I came shooting out of there up up the incline, that the fans, you know, standing around and everything wouldn't uh, see anybody in the car, you know, sitting there. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so I... I sneaked Randy Savage out of the Coliseum. Uh, <laughs> Jimmy was in front. Jimmy's in front seat, and then Randy was hunched down in the back. Okay, okay. How was yeah, it? How yeah. was it riding 
riding going down the highway and uh having having randy savage ride with you how how was that how oh, was great. That? it was great man and he's really uh really super intellectual person and um it's just his voice was unique and you know uh, he sounded pretty much like a macho man character you know in real life that's the way he really kind of talked too yeah. except he just he put more volume under it you know under in the character and whatever but he was uh really a really really great person and i'm just so grateful that i got to spend time with him and get to know him real good and he really liked me a whole lot and randy didn't like too many people he he was his own piper you know he danced to his own tune and everything he was a one-man show so to speak and he wasn't easy to work with uh you know in the in the events and and, uh, you know, he had a temper that was unbelievable, but he was just the greatest thing in the world to me. I mean, we had great conversations about everything, and I'm so thankful that I got to know Randy Savage, macho man. He was uh, really a great person, and, and if people knew how brilliant that he was, it would scare you. I mean, this guy, was a ge- he was the genius in reality. Yeah, yeah. You... He really was. He really was. You said... You said you sat in at a couple times for his uh, promos that he did, and you said some of the guys didn't like to be before Randy because Randy was so particular yeah. on getting the promo just yes. right. How how That's was correct. the experience it, yes. on that? Just watching him work and do the promos that he did. It, well, he's just he's instant magic. He just as soon as it's time to go and do what he's doing there, he just. It was a continual stream, you know, like streaming music or streaming video, okay? Uh-huh. Well, Randy Savage was streaming Randy Savage. <laughs> See? Hey. And it didn't stop. It didn't, if you notice, and, and he, there's never a 17-minute break like, let me tell you something, brothers, and, you know, and he'll rant for a while. Like, Hulk, you know, he'll start out like that, but then he'll occasionally stop and look around at the ceiling and get his thoughts together and then hit you from another side, you know, angle. Randy, he never did too much of that when he, he just would plow through a promo. I mean, bam, bam, one continual stream, you know? Right, right. And and he was very particular. Like he said, as soon as it was over, he would say, uh, did I give you everything that you needed, uh, brother? Are you sure I gave you everything you needed? And he was real super serious about, you know, his promos and uh, really more than a lot of the other guys, you know. uh uh-huh. Hulk was more, uh, his promos were great too in those days as well, but Hulk was more somewhat controlled, uh, but Randy was just like uh, winding up a toy car and then cutting it loose, you know. Right, right. Hulk okay. had moments of that in his promos where he would do that technique, but Randy did it just all the way through. He didn't, he didn't ever hesitate really, you know. Right, he, he, he just, he just hit it and stuff. The thing, the thing I liked oh, yeah. about Randy Perfect. Savage growing up, watching him on TV, was the fact when Mean Gene or someone would interview him and him just hitting the over over the top promos that brought you in, and you knew that whoever he was cutting that promo on, that he was going to get in the ring and he was going to throw down, he was going to drop that big elbow on him, and he yes, was, sir. and yes, the promos sir. came across just larger than life because I knew I was watching yeah. the Ultimate Warriors 
DVD about his, and he was talking about Randy Savage, and he said, Randy told him, he said, you got to be out there and over the top. You got, that's how you get with this, with being a, cutting a promo, and that's that's how he was, because it always dragged me in, because I didn't know what this guy was going to say, and what he was going to do, and how he was going to deliver that line there, but I knew it was going to be something because it was going to get my attention no matter what. If I was in the other room and I had the TV on and I heard him on TV, I would drop what I was doing and I would come just to see what he would do and say. Of course. I mean, he was the first time I saw Randy Savage was on television from uh, Knoxville, Tennessee on Saturday morning. They had the, you know, local wrestling or whatever down there in that territory. I can't remember exactly. I guess that was, was that NWA down there? Or what was that? You know I, better than me. I think it was. It was the, yeah, it was, it was, uh, I think it was like the NWA or uh, it was the IWA, yeah. if I remember. Yeah, it's either IWA or NWA, but I remember the first time that I saw Randy Savage come out. I thought, this this is unbelievable. For real. I mean, I'd never seen a wrestler that that ramped and jacked up in my whole life. <laughs> you know, I mean, there are a lot of good wrestlers. Don't get me wrong, some great technical wrestlers and so on. But this guy here was a maniac. Yeah, <laughs> he was. He was everywhere, and you know, and then that voice of his and everything. Wow, man! I mean, I was blown away the first time I ever saw him on television. And then, you know, eventually getting to know him and everything was just like a dream come true, really, because he was a really unique uh, individual. Randy Savage was. Randy Poffo. Yeah. One of the greatest of all time. Uh, you know, he's right up there with Hulk Hogan and uh, Andre. Uh, I, I look up there and I see at the pinnacle, I see Andre and Hulk and Randy Savage. And then you go from there. Yeah. Ric Flair. Yeah, Ric Flair's up there on, on that tier. Your Mount Rushmore. You know, uh, your, it, it'd yeah, be the your... Mount Rushmore of wrestling. Yes, yeah. sir, I love that. Coin that. Yeah, Trademark well, it. Well, <laughs> pretty much. Make Vince buy that from you. Hurry <laughs> up and do it. Hurry up and print trademark it before Vince does. <laughs> <laughs> I should. I should. A lot of people yeah, A lot of people put that out there. He may already have it. He probably already got it. And you probably don't even know it because he's spending a lot of he's time. He's ahead of everybody. Yeah. He's it. I mean, you, when you say wrestling, uh, modern wrestling or wrestling that any of us have a memory of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's the Vince McMahon. Uh, he's a very uh, person that gave a lot of talent great opportunity. You know, all those guys, including Hogan and Savage and Jimmy Hart and all those guys, they would still just be running around down around Memphis and yeah. being big stars down there. Vince McMahon and that organization uh, took some great talents and really allowed them to show their stuff to the world. And that was lucky for everybody. Lucky for me. Uh, lucky for Jimmy Hart, Hulk Hogan, uh, Hillbilly Jim. Uh, oh, I could sit here all night, you know. Right. Right. But uh, but uh, but yeah. It, but the times change and. You know, you never know what the public really likes. You know, you might sit there and, and as knowledgeable as you are about wrestling and the technical facts and everything, you might sit there and go, that's the world's worst wrestler I've ever seen. But you know what? Then there's there's 10,000 other people that go, that's the greatest wrestling I've ever seen. 
you, you know, and, and you never know what the public will like. And uh, I think part of the troubles that all the wrestling factions today, WWE and uh, Impact and AEW and all of them have is, I hate to say this, but in a way they're trying too hard or something. Uh, right. The old school guys down in the Mid-South and NWA and whatever, they they focus more on character and uh, presentation. And the wrestlers today all look very similar. They're not very colorful uh, as a whole, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, just because you wear red tights and have, a, uh, you know, colorful headband on or something that doesn't exactly mean that you're really colorful you know uh, the right. color is not important today um right. you know the wrestlers look more like the people in the audience yeah pretty pretty no one no one sticks out no one actually no one actually no. sticks out well like they don't they want them to, to. they don't yeah. want anybody to, they don't want to have one person that's commanding the sales of the company yeah. when you had hulk hogan you had the whole company riding on Hulk Hogan. Yeah. And Hulk Hogan carried that load. He br- brother. He carried <laughs> the, the load, you know, and uh, helped to build that big house that these guys with beards and tattoos are in today. Exactly. Now, we got, we've got some great bearded and tattooed wrestlers. Don't misunderstand my point of view. Right. But um, the, the color is not important. Uh, they don't seem to think. But I seem to still think that, you notice when I performed down there, no matter where we went, I had color. Yeah. yeah. And that makes you stand out to where people remember a little more, I think, about you. Yeah. But the thing is, is everybody got so colorful in the WWF that it turned into one big color burst, you know, so. Right. They got away from that. And, uh, Especially with the But there's some great wrestling there. today. There is. Uh, yeah. All the leagues. Uh, I haven't seen Billy Corgan's bunch yet. Uh, I've, I've looked at, uh, uh, everything else, but, uh, I like what I see. Uh, I, I get a lot of flack for liking Tessa Blanchard, uh, I love Tessa's, uh, abilities. And the thing that she has over all other wrestlers is this, she's had extensive acting training. You know, she majored in uh, theater in college and everything. Right. And you, yeah. you watch her do her matches and she tells the story. Not only with her wrestling, but you can skip the wrestling and just watch her face, and her face tells the story. Right, right. One, that, and that's tough. That that, uh, that is an an art and a skill that that not everybody has. Right, right. Even with training, you know, even with training, it's something that's a gift, and you know, it's mm-hmm. like I guess like being able to play music like myself. You know, it's a, a gift. Uh, it's just a gift, you know. Uh, I, I think it's a gift from God, of course, but pe- some people don't believe in God and don't think so, and I don't hate them because they don't, but I happen to. And it's a gift. Let's just say it's a gift from uh, whomever. And uh, it, it's important in life, I think, always to try to figure out what is your gift. And once you figure what your gift is, and you can work with it, but you have to work with it you have like going to the gym to build muscles you whatever your gift is if it's talking then you need to be a salesman or a lawyer or whatever you know find out first what's my gift and everybody has a gift a lot of people beat back and beat down people tell me you're never going to do anything and you don't have any gift and you better settle down and just uh, do this and that 
Right. But if you have a gift and a dream, you see, you need a gift. And if you have a gift and then you have a dream and then you live your gift and dream, then you'll be completely successful. Exactly. Exactly. I, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree with you uh, much more than that right there. Now, one of the one of the things one of the things about you're talking about uh, Tessa Blanchard with her look and her face can tell the story. One of my ever one of my uh, other <laughs> favorite wrestlers. I'm going to get it out here sometime tonight. One of my other favorite wrestlers, The Undertaker. The guy does not say much when he does say something. There you it, go. And it's perfect important. example. Perfect example. Perfect wow. Example. That's why you're who you are, uh, Everett <laughs> Lee, because you're exactly right. And you see that. And, you know, I'm telling you, WWE yeah. needs you, brother. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to send him a letter up there and get him going. Why, thank you. I I would appreciate that. I would. But. Oh, you could help them. You could help them immensely. They need people like yourself. So, yeah. You know. No training necessary. You're already trained. <laughs> I'm self-trained. I'm self-taught. <laughs> self-trained. Best. OJT on the job training, baby. That's how it is. But, but with The Undertaker, perfect example. Okay. Perfect example, Undertaker. I believe it was WrestleMania 27. I believe it was around. It was WrestleMania 27. Undertaker comes back and he gets in the ring. I think it was around 20. No, it was around. Uh, yeah, it was around 20. No, 28, 27. I forget which one. But because I know 29 was okay. It was 28. Undertaker came out and he was going to, I guess, kind of announced or mention or cut a promo on who he was going to face. And then Triple H's music hits. Triple H was gone for months because he actually he he tore he blew out his other quad. Remember when he blew out his the quad his the first time he was out for like six to eight months, and yeah. and he blew out the other one finally, and he was gone for a long time. And then he comes back on the night that Undertaker comes back, and they're in the ring there. And just the emotion in that ring and just watching their faces and just watching the Undertaker's face told everything. And when he looked up at the WrestleMania sign and just looked and he looked at Triple H and Triple H looked back and forth, they said nothing. The crowd went nuts. And then... Of course. And then Taker looked at him and with the face, he did the eyes roll back and the cutthroat and... And then that was all was said and done. And then they had they had their match for for WrestleMania 28 there. But that was that was the thing about it. His his face told told the story. He didn't have to say a damn word. He went out there in the crowd, hook line sinker, boom, sold. I'm gonna buy a ticket to well, see this. Well, uh, uh, yes, uh, definitely. And and uh, what about uh, Hulk? You know, and he'd look at the crowd and look back and look back over, and then you know, I mean, oh, yeah, that that's yeah. that's what people like. They like the connection, and the yeah. the great ones were able to make that connection, you know, with the audience and everything. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, it's just uh, it's skill, and but you have to work at it and learn how to do it and uh, practice and. You know, like anything else, it's not, uh, you know, it just looks like these guys and these people and girls just walk out there and do their thing and it's fabulous. But buddy, if you, if the people knew how much 
work went in before you saw them walk out there, it'd blow your mind. Oh, yeah. At the yeah. gym all the time, the gym every day, uh, lifting weights in the morning and the evening and staying on a rigid diet and traveling and, you know, and honing your craft more and more and working out more and more in the ring and, you know, getting advice from seasoned veterans and, you know, and getting ready for these big matches and, you know, uh, it's just a lot of extra hard, diligent work. It's There's no cakewalk to wrestling, really, uh, no cakewalk whatsoever, period. No matter what level you're at, if you're uh, a beginner or if you're an intermediate or if you're a semi-pro or you're a pro, it's grueling. Exactly. And you have to love it. And it's that's just that sort of thing. And those guys that made it the biggest, they lived it. Mm-hmm. They not only loved it, but they lived it. They did. They did. You you can tell. I mean, you definitely can tell they lived it and they loved it. And yes, they, they did. Were, well, they I traveled with them on the road and everything. And I saw what it takes and what they do. And, you know, I, I could tell you everything that Hulk ate every day and how he kept in shape like that. And I can tell you what routines he worked out on in the gym and how he went about it. And, you know, I was down there with him, Jimmy and I, he, he drove us to the gym every morning at like 5.30 a.m. And, uh, yeah. yeah, but it's a regimen and it's, it's real hard work for anyone. And, you know, I really have hats off to uh, all those guys, the Hulk and the Rock and everybody that, yes, you know, work so hard like that to really entertain you and me and the, and the people that, you know, I always tell people, they say, well, you must have a pretty big ego for writing all those icon interest things. I said, no, I really, I don't have any ego about that. I said, I wrote all those songs for the world's ego. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah and I really, I really did. And it just happened to turn out that I got a little bit of attention by, for doing it, but I didn't go into it. And, I never thought that it would be as big as it has become and what it became. You know, I, I never, I'm still amazed and shocked by that, that this many years later that people still recognize the works that we did and they appreciate it. And they come up to me at the meet and greets and, you know, and tell me how much that the, the wrestling music was the fabric of their youth or whatever. Mm-hmm. Wow, I mean that's this heavy stuff. Uh, I'm not claiming to be Einstein or somebody, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't, fi- I haven't figured out gravity, but I did figure out what people like, and I knew how to put that together. And Jimmy, too, we knew how to put all that to together in a, such a way that the masses of ages of people would enjoy that, you know, along with the wrestling character. It was all about the character. But then we had a little icing on the cake with the music, you know, and we were just lucky and fortunate. But we worked hard and we were diligent at that, too. And, you know, I always play I've played music every day of my life since I can remember my being alive. Right. Since a baby, you know, I, I played the piano and, you know, music's just the fabric of my life. So I was honored and I'm flattered and fortunate to that so many people uh, had joy from this music because that's why I did it. I, I didn't do it for to get girls. I didn't do it. Uh, I, I did it to get kind of rich, but that wasn't my motive. I didn't, you know, just being a part of it. If I never made a dollar, I would have still been happy, you know, with. Yeah, just, so. a, you just, you, you just enjoyed what you were doing. 
And if you got something I love to, I, I just love music my whole life. It's been, right. you know, uh, some people love football their whole life and right. some people love other stuff. And, but, uh, some people love the three stooges their whole life. And I'm one of those, <laughs> but uh, I am too. I know. am too. My, my father, yeah. since, since you mentioned that my father, man, he would, we would watch three stooges. We'd sit there on AMC at seven o'clock at night or six o'clock at night would rerun three three stooges they were rerunning it there for a while and we would sit there and watch it and just laugh our butts off because i love that slapstick comedy that slapstick comedy oh yeah it's just simple comedy. stuff simple yeah. stuff you know yeah. very simple and uh nothing uh beyond belief or anything just a slapstick comedy is what it is and mm-hmm. they were masters of it and uh yes yeah the three stooges i, I never missed it when i was a little uh kid uh, you know, it came on Saturday mornings and, you know, I never met, I started out the first show at, at 6 a.m. was Roy Rogers. The second show was Gene Autry. The third mm-hmm. show was uh, that there. And then the fourth show was wrestling. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Cha- Channel 10 down in Nashville, uh, Knoxville, pardon me. Knoxville. Yeah. And I get, I, I get cereal together. It's about 11 o'clock in the morning. Come on. And I'd uh, have my cereal, and I'd eat my cereal and sit there and watch wrestling go by. And my mother used to say, why do you want to waste your time on that old wrestling? Yeah, <laughs> this is good. Yeah, of course. And so I said, well, I just like it. She said, well, that's all a bunch of goofy stuff, that running around and slapping each other, and it doesn't make any sense, she said. <laughs> and I said, well, yes, it's true, too. Yeah. But it's something fun to watch. It's fun to watch. Yeah, it's fun. Mom, it's entertaining. I, I, I enjoy watching it. Just like Three Stooges. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. uh, that that's uh, uh, some classic stuff once again. And, and something, like I always say, when something's great once, it's great forever. Right. Right. It, you know, it uh, uh, Savage and Hogan and everybody and Flair, they're, they're great forever. They're great for even when they're gone from this world. They're still going to be great. Exactly. They, so they gr- great are. is forever. Once, once you can hit some level of great. But my parents always raised me to be great. They always uh, wanted me to be able to be great in some way, you know. And they instilled that in me through, uh, oh, probably uh, Judeo-Christian principles and uh, somewhat rigidity, you know, of what you're allowed to do and can't do and uh, I had to fit a format, you know, and uh, live under the rule of uh, that and parents and how the world was then. And it's changed a lot now since I was little like that and young. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, I, I, they 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 raised me to be able to be great in some way. And then if I did happen to become great, but they were always confident that I would be. Yeah. They always were. They always were from when, because I played the piano from birth practically, and they knew I had a talent there, uh, something to it more than just banging on on keys, you know. And and then they helped me, you know. They I got lessons, and I worked hard. I lifted those weights, like lifting those weights, baby. I was lifting those keys. (laughs) So that's kind of how it all goes. And and uh, but I would tell parents uh, listening. Always tell your kids that they can be great. Now, they, on TV a lot, they always say, "Yeah, in America, you can be anything." You want. That's not true. If you, if everybody could, we could all be. We'd all be Hulk Hogan or Randy Savage, probably. 
Yeah. <laughs> but you, that's not true. But you can you have the chance to become what you dream. And my parents told me it's possible. They didn't belittle me on doing the music and uh they helped me and promoted me and uh paid for the lessons and everything. So I owe a whole lot to them, you know, for helping. Right. And I would encourage parents to always tell their kids they have the ability to be great in some way. They do. They do. They do. Parents parents want their kids, just like me, being a parent. To be better than we are. Exactly. Exactly. And yep. my my daughter, you, you've seen that. My, my daughter is just, she is smart, <laughs> she, man. She's great. This, this yeah. girl is smart. We found out, check this out. We found this out at daycare. During during the morning or during the afternoon, they'd give an af- afternoon snack. When the uh, daycare teachers are do- taking their snack, they're right next door. She'll she'll eat her snack right there, and then she'll walk right in there where they're at and say hello, and then sit down and want to eat what they're eating. <laughs> yeah, she yeah. Dumped, they, oh, kids are brilliant. Yeah, I mean, they they yeah, know dumped, and they figure everything out. Yeah. Misunderstand. They have a lot more ways to learn quicker than even uh, your generation or mine or yeah. anybody. So you know, yeah. everything is uh, uh, fast computers and visual, and uh, you know, they're able yeah. to pick up a lot of info uh, compressed real quick. Where we had to get the Funk and Wagnalls. Uh, dictionary gimmick out to look up a foreign country or something. You know, you didn't yeah. have any automatic uh, telephone or computer to push a button and go, tell me all about Nairobi. <laughs> nope. You had to go to the library and you had to check a, check the Funk and Wagnalls or the uh, Encyclopedia Britannica, you know, had all your information. And then you'd write your report from the information you gathered from the books. Oh, yeah. Encyclopedia but, Britannica. But today, no, nobody's reading hardly or anything, and, you know, everything's all uh, a different way to uh, get the information. But uh, it's still fun to read books, I think, and yeah. uh, it takes time. And a lot of people don't have, they don't feel like, and they don't have time to sit down and read a book. Yeah. But I want them to read my book. I want these people listening to go out and get on Amazon and order my book, My Life in Heaven Town. And I promise you there'll be something enlightening for you in there, no matter who you are or what color you are or how rich or poor you are or who you are. There will be something in there that you can relate to that will give you possibly an inspiration to do something. Yeah. (laughs) And that's my whole goal with the book, uh, you know, is I wanted it to be an inspiration to people that read it and, an enlightening experience, something that uh, people feel good about, you know, that they might be able to realize that they have the capabilities of anything I've ever done and more, you know, really, if you can apply yourself in the right way. Yeah. I guess, I guess I'm a kind of a motivational speaker type person, <laughs> but I do it through music in uh, my book, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You, you pretty, you pretty much are. I mean, you, uh, motivational speaker i know we've had long talks and when you were when you were down here and during that time last year and it 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 seems like yesterday man it just feels like yesterday yeah it was about a a month ago or something yeah it feels like it was like a month ago but it was it was a month and a year ago when you were down here 
One yeah, of, yeah. One of the things one of the things you mentioned about you <clears throat> when you were talking about TV, the name Robert Conrad came to mind. Right there. Yes, sir. Yeah, Robert Robert yeah. Conrad. And we were talking about him just a little bit right before we went live tonight. What yeah. what I wanna I wanna hear a story about Robert Conrad and you meeting Robert Conrad, which which is in your book. That my life in Heaven Town. I love. I love to hear. Well, I, I, I can. I can add a little bit to that. That's not in the book. Okay. All right. That I that I didn't tell, but I'll tell it now on the Everett Lee show. All right. My great friend Everett Lee. He 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 will manages to Everett Lee knows how to squeeze all the goodies out of the person, all the good stories. See, that's your secret talent, my friend. Is your kind and wonderful type of guy and you're able to get people like me to spill our guts and so here we go <laughs> uh, wrestlemania 2 wrestlemania 2 ladies and gentlemen here we are all right well the announcers for that show were you're gonna love this one those of you that aren't experts and don't remember or haven't looked it was elvira and do you remember who it was uh damn Got me right there. It's been Bobby Heenan. Bobby Heenan. Yes. Yes. Bobby Heenan. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell we'll let somebody that's listening out there dial in and tell us who the other announcer was. Jesse Ventura. But but uh Robert Conrad was the timekeeper. Yes. So, so we were there early because you come to the Coliseum early and they have separate the bad guys have a separate ballroom area, and then the good guys are in a separate ballroom area, keep everybody separated so they don't fist fight and roll around, wear themselves out before the matches that night. <laughs> and that still happens some, but that's a whole other story. But anyway, so, uh, yes, Robert Conrad was the guest timekeeper, and then Zsa Zsa Gabor was also one of the uh, attendees. That, I can't remember exactly what her function was. Yeah. There's some expert out there, a dial-in and tell us. Um, <laughs> so Elvira in the back, oh, before I get to the Robert Conrad thing, uh, Elvira uh, earlier in the day, we were all down there, okay. and uh, they had food for us. And right. Elvira came up to me, and she said, she asked me, she said, how do my boobs look? <laughs> I, 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 didn't, I didn't know what to say. You know, I mean, I, I, I thought, is she joking or is this real or what am I supposed to do? Help. Somebody throw me a toll line, you know? And I said, <laughs> they look absolutely fabulous, dear. You're yeah. ready to go. And she said, thank you, sir. And she gave me a big hug with the boobs. So, Oh, that's, yeah. that's a plus right there. <laughs> that was a big plus I didn't expect. So you never know what you're going to run into in wrestling, but that was a good thing. But she was real sweet and real nice person, too. Uh, Cassandra Peterson is her real name. Yes. And she still is Elvira, by the way. Oh, yeah. But anyway, uh, okay, so Robert Conrad, he comes in a little bit later of the afternoon. And so I was the first person he walks up to from the back because I was in the back. And they were setting the ring up and getting everything ready. Uh-huh. And uh, he, came up to, he came up to me and he said, uh, Where, uh, what dressing room uh, am I supposed to use? Can you tell me? I went. I went, Bob, how are you? Great. To, like, you know, I've known him a million years. Well, well, I've been watching him ever since he did the Wild Wild West. I actually saw him in his original show, Hawaiian Eye, which is big in the late 50s. And I was just a little tight then. But I remember watching the show with he and Connie Stevens were stars in that. 
Uh-huh. And, um, and then he went from that to uh, the Wild Wild West, pretty much. That ran up through the early earlier 60s. In the uh, mid-60s, he jumped into the Wild Wild West. Fabulous right. show. I still watch it regularly. And um, anyway, so I uh, met Robert right there, Conrad. And um, I said, yes, sir, uh, follow me, and I'll show you right where it is, because I knew where the dressing area was. So I showed him. They had his name on his dressing room with a star on it. Uh-huh. And I said, there you go. And he went in there. But he had his uh, grandson with him, little blonde-haired boy. He's probably only about four years old. And he was carrying him around on his shoulders. <laughs> so anyway, he went back in there. And then uh, I think he ate in that room himself. They brought him some food privately and whatever. But I ate out there with uh, Vince and all the boys and everything. Right. And uh, right. so anyway, um Got to spend the whole, uh, Red West was with him. That's his best friend, uh, Red was. Red West, uh, for those who don't know, was Elvis Presley's bodyguard. Okay. And he's also, he's a film actor, and he's been in some uh, famous movies where he had like a, you know, a third uh, character type role or whatever. He's really a great actor, too, Red is. And anyway, he he and uh, Sonny were uh, Elvis's bodyguards, but. However, so he was Robert Conrad's best friend, and he right. was there with his son. So right. Red West comes up to me and says, uh, "Can I can't remember his son's name, uh, Gary or whatever it was. He said, he'd like to meet Jimmy Hart, and you're Jimmy Hart's manager, aren't you? And I went, <laughs> yeah, I am. I just said it. And he said, okay. So I took the kid into the back, yeah. and uh, he got autographs from Jimmy and a whole bunch of the boys and stuff and right. brought him back out. And then uh, uh, Robert Conrad came out. Later, uh, well, I hung with him all afternoon. He just kind of wandered around uh, the auditorium and looked at everything with that grandson with him. Uh-huh. And uh, I stayed right with him, kind of like a liaison or whatever. And he thought that's what I was, really. You know, he didn't know I was just a jabroni that does music for wrestling that was just excited to be with one of my TV all-time heroes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was marking pretty big right there, but oh, in yeah. a professional way. Yeah. So, yeah. uh Anyway, so he was guest timekeeper, but that was a thrill for me because I loved the wild. I was a, a teenager when the Wild Wild West came on. I was well, but probably twelve or thirteen years old. Right. And uh, wow, I just loved Robert Conrad and at the show and the whole thing, and still do. And uh, it was just a, a great to meet him. You know, for me and oh, yeah. uh, Hulk uh, liked him too, and he liked Hulk. Uh, by the way, oh, did he? Uh, he liked he? Hulk. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I actually wrote a screenplay, uh, DJ Twenty One, where that uh, Robert Conrad was going to play uh, Hulk's father in it. Oh, okay. That Commander was... Commander Gene Boulder Senior and Commander Gene Boulder Junior. That would have that been Boulder from man. the Boulder Boulder Brothers when Hulk started. He was one of the Boulder Brothers. Okay. Okay. That but anyway, been, that yeah, I got the script. I, I'm just gonna. I'm, one of these days, I'm gonna bump into the right financier at one of these meet and greets, and we're gonna make that film. But poor Robert, of course, he passed away, and it's uh, it'll have to be somebody else. But yeah, uh, you know, somebody somebody like The Rock and somebody sounds real good. Yeah, yeah, he's The Rock oh. can still jump around. He can still jump around. Oh yeah, and yeah. Fight and whatever. Yeah, that that guy can that guy can still still jump around and stuff. Third, gener- third generation wrestler, and 
It looks like his. Did you hear? It looked like his daughter. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, I da- saw it. The daughter. She, fourth generation. Yeah. Yeah, four four generations of wrestling, man. Can you? That's beautiful, that? man. I that mean, is... isn't that great? I mean, you, that's a that's like a storybook story, you know. And you know she's you, the the good thing about that is JJ. You know she's gonna you know she's gonna hit the moves like a veteran because look who oh, look yeah. who her dad is and yeah. then look who trained yeah. look who trained him Rocky Rocky. Well, Rocky the Johnson. DNA is there. Like uh, well, I talked to Tully Blanchard when I appeared at uh, Heroes and Legends up in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana last year. Yeah. Uh, uh, Tully, I said, Tully, Tessa is the greatest thing that wrestling's seen in a lot of decades, really. Yeah. He said, well, she's got the D-. He said, well, she's got the DNA. Of that's, course. That's all he said. Of course. Of course. It's just like. Yeah. He, he was real modest about it when he said, he said, well, she's got the DNA. Just yeah. like that. You know, like nothing to it. Right. Why is it. He someone... and J.J. Dillon were together. He and J.J. Dillon had a table together. And man, oh, man, they never stopped signing, brother. They were the uh, Paul McCartney and John Lennon of that uh, show. Oh yeah, you I mean told they me never stopped. They never stopped. They never, never stopped. So, I think maybe at one moment they, they they had to stop them so that uh, they could take a bathroom break and come right back. But and they kept signing. They never really stopped. Yeah, continual. That's that's. that's crazy. And another one that signed continual was, of course, Jake the Snake, and that's no mystery. And then uh, also. The Boogeyman had a line to Timbuktu. I can believe the Boogeyman. I I can believe the him. Boogeyman. He, I mean, you he's, should have seen him. He looked like over. he just stepped off a Universal movie set. <laughs> you know, his makeup and his gimmick and everything, brother. Heck, fire! They were lined up around the whole back of the building to see him. Yes, sir. That's a surprise. Yeah. And then Baby Doll. I ran over there and and yeah. and introduced myself to Baby Doll. Yeah, you, Baby Doll said I was a mo- most charming individual. She said, "Most he's a charming man." She said, "I hope her <laughs> husband isn't jealous." <laughs> yeah, you mentioned you mentioned the Heroes and Legends. I remember j- that weekend after you came back from that weekend, you called me, and or oh, I wow. called I was you. On cloud nine. I mean, yeah, with demolition and honky and everybody yeah. up there. Wow. I, I, actually, I'm still jerking. I I would be too because actually I called yeah I called you to ask you ask you something, and I said uh, how was your time up there and you were like oh man Everett oh man and just you told me told me what happened and who you met and just a just a just a great time you had a really really great time there. And well, um, all my boys were there that I did the music for. Yeah, you know, I mean, practically everybody there, I'd done their music, and you know, uh, well, Tommy Rich and uh, was sitting beside Tommy Rich and Earl Hebner, and Earl Hebner never stopped signing. Also, you'd have thought he was one of the Beatles. <laughs> really, I mean, I'm not exaggerating, ladies and gentlemen, listening. No, sir, no, I'm not exaggerating any here. I mean, uh, Earl's a superstar, brother, and I said, Earl. I didn't realize you were such a superstar. He said, Shh, be quiet, don't tell him. I don't realize it either. <laughs> but Earl's a cool guy. He, he's really a great guy and a great referee and just great all the way around. But unfortunately, he told me that Dave, uh, he has Alzheimer's, and they're helping to take care of him. He He's having a lot of problems. His, his brother. His brother. I just always remember them. They've got that. Yeah. 
that southern accent and say Maguire. They always call me Maguire, Maguire. <laughs> you know, from the way deep south, you know, down there in North Carolina or somewhere. You know, I think they're actually from Virginia. Okay. I'm not sure. Some some expert out there can dial in and tell us. But, man, I tell you what, the Hebners, you can't find any better people or anything. And, you know, they were the carnies. They worked the circus before they got involved in the wrestling business. I didn't. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I remember. I and remember they're both tough of them. guys. These these tough guys. See, let me tell you something. Yes, Dave and Earl are. They're not real tall guys, but yes, let me tell you, you'd be in trouble if you got tried to fist fight those guys in a dark alley. You'd come out hurting. I, I can believe those it. guys are tough. They are tough, and they got tough from setting up those big circus tents and stuff, and you know, hammering all that stuff in and all that physical work and. Those guys were tough and wiry, you know, and that's helped them, them to be great referees also. I can believe it. I definitely can believe that, man. Remember and the story? And by the story... way, when they, when they threw, him, when they threw uh, uh, Earl out into the audience, they missed uh, where they were trying to throw him in all the excitement. He wound up dislocating his shoulder. He cracked his uh, a rib, and he dislocated his uh, leg, I believe, he was crippled after that show for, he told me, for about almost a year. Now, is that the same one The same one I was just about to mention was where... The, uh, the evil Hebners. Yes, the, the evil, evil Hebners. Yeah, Hogan, because they, that's, yep. Hogan's reaction was priceless, man, when I saw that. And yeah, he picked him up, he threw him, he launched his ass. I mean, excuse well, me. Well, I was standing between yeah. the ring and the rail. I was in the, the corner of, uh, on right outside the camera angle, you know, where I wasn't in the way. Yeah. And uh, I yeah, was, was crouched like, down, though, you know. I didn't stand, I was crouched, but I was right there. And golly, when, he, when they picked him up and sailed him out there, I thought, oh my. God. They didn't throw him out in the front row. They overthrew him. That's what hurt him. They threw him back to about the fourth row. Damn, that was Hogan that did that, right? If I remember, that was that was Hogan. Yeah, but Hogan yeah, but it had up. some help too. Some other ones oh. were kind of holding his feet. There, if I remember, I think there was two people that did it: Hogan and, and another one. Okay, okay, yeah, I was trying you had to look at it. Some, somebody yeah. had to look at that again. I don't, but I'll I just remember it. watching him sailing through the air like Superman. Yeah, and hitting about the third row, fourth row out there. Yeah, he and I went, dang man, this guy's <laughs> got to be hurt, and they they carried him out, but he was hurt severely from that. Yeah, he he flew, man. That guy, that guy, just yes. freaking Earl Earl flew. He just yes, he did. He was. I remember that. I remember Hogan's face. And the announcing, it was just great moment. There's two, there's two of yeah. them. I think it was Gorilla or Jesse. There's two of them. Yeah. And Heaton was like, yeah. Heaton is like Hogan Sand Devil, <laughs> just, just something crazy like that. And then Hogan, one of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest angles ever in wrestling, man. I mean, that was fabulous stuff. <laughs> no right one there, expected brother. And the crowd was priceless yeah. with the reaction. The crowd, didn't crowd know. was ballistic. Yeah. I mean, the only crowd louder. Was at the Silver Dome when yeah. Hulk slammed uh, Andre, or the Superdome, like Hogan said at thirty. Superdome. <laughs> that yeah. was great. He Super still Dome. jokes about that now. I mean, even at the WrestleManias, when he was there at last year's WrestleMania, when he came out at the beginning with Alexa Bliss, he said, "You know, brothers, yeah. it's great to be out here at the Superdome." And they started booing. He said, "I mean, Bet Life Stadium." <laughs> 
he he did that up. He jokes. He 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 takes a joke at. He jabs himself with it now. You know. Which well, they great. tried to knock it down and it didn't go down. He said, <laughs> just like me. Hogan said. He said, you can't knock down. You know, it's hard to knock us down. They the first attempt failed. Yeah. <laughs> they tried to level it. <laughs> yeah, he made a joke out of that. But uh, uh, no, I'll never forget that. That was again. I was crouched in the corner and. Uh, unbelievable just unbelievable stuff and to and i sat there with my own eyes and watched it just from a few feet away you know jeez yeah that's i was right under it if i was any closer i would have been in right in it with them really damn only a matter of feet only only a matter of about 10 feet or i would have been in the in the melee with them i was only that far away you know right in the corner that's on the inside that's crazy now one one thing one thing i gotta ask you about is if this is in the book or not when uh, you went over to england for SummerSlam 1990 SummerSlam, or i think it was 92 91 92 summer slam when 91 uh, 91 okay and the main event for that mm-hmm. was bret hart versus davy boy smith in an iron man match for the intercontinental championship family versus family, family. match yeah. great great main event yep. great time now mm-hmm. how was it being over there in England and being a part of this event by just seeing history, you know, in the world of wrestling being made there with Well, versus- it was a fabulous spectacle. I mean, if you remember, it took them about 10 minutes to get to the ring. It's so far of a distance, you know, Wembley. Yeah. it's a, It holds 119,000 people. Right. So, you know, you there was no way to run to the ring. Not even the rockers, at their hundred mile an hour run to the rings. Not even the rockers could run from the curtain to the ring at Wembley. Sorry. What about Ultimate not even Warriors? they would be able to? It, it would take them. Even the rockers, it would take them probably at least three minutes to run to the ring at their speed. Damn. It's so far away, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Never saw anything like it. And then I forget, uh, who was it that rode out there on a motorcycle? Ah, uh, damn. Who was that? I'm trying to remember. I don't remember. Who, was it Jesse Ventura? Yeah, I think it was. Uh, I think it was Jesse. Yeah, 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 he rode to the yeah. ring on, on a Harley. Yeah. Yeah. And, how, uh, how was... yeah, it's a, it's a, you talk about a spectacle, brother. This was it. And, and I think it amazed me. And I, don't, I think I had it in the book. I can't remember. Uh, but. Uh, you know, I was everywhere. I had all access. I sat with Vince and Pat Patterson and them in the back and watched on the monitors a lot of it. And then I went out, you know, and uh, uh, walked out on the walkways and stood in between the exits and watched. And then I actually went all the way or halfway around and went up into the stands and sat with the people. And uh-huh. I went up there and sat and I looked to my left. And the people that were to the left of me barely had shoes on their feet and they didn't have any teeth. And you could tell they were really impoverished people, but yet they'd saved their money and whatever to come to the event, which is remarkable. And then on my right hand side, these two women were sitting wearing mink coats and wearing diamond rings. Wow. And I, I thought to myself, I looked at that. And I looked at, you know, at that on left and right like that. And I looked at the audience and the pops and everything. And then the music hit and see the music hit before anything hit the curtain. Uh-huh. 
since since the music hit, the people were leaping before even the talent came out. You know, they like they wouldn't. The music would hit, and then maybe like five or ten seconds later, the talent would come through the curtain. Yeah, and then they had they had if you remember they had like golf carts that they would get in and they drove them to the ring with the golf carts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so far. But I realized right then, wow, that this spectacle of wrestling and this music and this type of entertainment is way bigger than what I ever have realized to the, till this moment, till I've sat here and looked at all walks of life coming to this event, you know. I, I just, I still don't know exactly what to say. I, I'm completely blown away after all these years, these decades by that. And wow, you know, to be able to be a part of that, it's just a miracle. And I loved it because I saw how that people were happy. You know, I thought, gosh, this is the coolest thing to make this, to make 110,000 people happy like this. What a, what a dream come true, man. I would say. This I would is a dream come true. I'd say that'd be like one of the greatest feelings right there. And even hearing your, even hearing the themes you and Jimmy Hart did come over that, come over the PA right there. And oh I yeah, think yeah, yeah. If and I the, rem- the great, the best of sound system that is so big that they, they have uh, special, they have delay on the speakers because there's different speakers at different distances from uh, ringside all the way back to the back of the Coliseum and right. Uh, the sound system is very sophisticated, and so if there's not a, 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 a an echo of sound, a refraction of it bouncing off the top back. By the time it got to back Coliseum, it's going to be about two seconds late. You understand? Uh-huh. So they have they have staggered speakers, so many feet all the way back to the edge of the uh, beginning of the upper tier of the uh, Coliseum. And that's so that the sound for no matter where you're sitting stays in sync. It isn't bouncing around like a big echo, like a ping pong, you know, uh-huh. very sophisticated fan. You know, people don't think about these things, so they just go and watch what you see. But, yeah. you know, I understand and know about all these things that are involved in putting on these programs. And it's extremely uh, sophisticated back then. There wasn't any digital stuff much yet then in 91. It's mostly analog uh, PA and so forth. But. Man, oh, man, it sounded dynamite. I mean, really great. And that was really a thrill, yeah. Uh, really a thrill. Uh, really appreciate it, and I'd like to thank everybody that has enjoyed all this music that we've done. And, you know, I'm glad that I was able to take my gift and share it with people, you know, and entertain people and let them have fun. Mm-hmm. I like for everybody to have fun. Jimmy Hart, fun thing about him, he always asks you, if you're anywhere with him or, an outing with a family or anything. He always made, he says, McGuire, are you having fun? <laughs> do I, well, Jimmy, do Jimmy, do I look like I'm not having fun? I've asked him, no, no, you don't look like you're not. Having, I'm just wondering, are you having fun? You're okay. Do you need anything? Need something to drink? Do you need this? Blah, blah, blah. Jimmy's always concerned with everybody else's welfare. You know, he's right. Right. When he's with other, other people, as you noticed, he, he's interested in your welfare, whether you're a fan or a friend or, even a foe, you know, he's, he's, uh, polite to everybody. He know? is, 
He is. He he's a great guy. He he is a great guy. When he had his place here in Daytona, and I would I'd go out there to uh, hang out to watch. Wrestling. Yeah, you were semi-regular over there. You you were. Yeah, uh, I figured about... any time you were going to be on the wall in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't. You, you and you and Tommy. Yeah. You and Tommy. I mean, y'all were. Uh, I thought y'all had jobs working for Jimmy. I got to tell you a couple funny stories that happened there. <laughs> that this was crazy because it added it added up and to to what what you mentioned to me uh, on uh, on something I will not mention on air. And uh but I will tell you I will tell you a couple a couple funny stories too that happened there that I can tell. <laughs> But what we talked yeah, about and stuff, okay. I will, I won't, um, I won't mention that on air. But that's between you and me and the, uh, uh, as my father used to say, that's between you and me and that fence post over there. So, yeah, boy, <laughs> but, fence post, yes, sir. I, I will, understand. I will, yeah. I will. I will say this though: there was a time yeah. where, when when we first started, when we heard about Jimmy having his place up there in Daytona, here in Daytona. And me, Tommy, and another friend, uh, Tony. And you've seen Tony because anyone who sees Tony, the first thing they say is, is that Jake Roberts? He looks like Jake Roberts. That's just Tony, man. So we were up there one night, and we were hanging out, and uh, I believe we were watching some kind of sporting thing. He had, he had like uh, five or six TVs with uh, sports on it. And then I think on one of them, he would have like Monday Night Raw or SmackDown on at the time. And we were just sitting by Jimmy, hanging out, talking and stuff. Jimmy got up to take care of stuff behind the bar. So this one couple came in, and it was amazing to see people come in and just kind of mark out. And some people didn't mark out because there's Jimmy Hart. And then this one lady came in with her husband, and I guess they were she was hitting the bottle someplace else before she came down the Jimmy's. <laughs> so she got yeah. Jimmy's there and she started drinking more to her, um, to what she's had before. So <laughs> she comes over and she had, she bought a, she bought one of her Jimmy's Jimmy Hart shirts. <laughs> she, and she went over there and she had him, had him sign it. And, He's sitting there. His sitting there. He signed it and stuff. And this is how messed up she was when Jimmy got up and left. She she come back over and she's sitting there just all just. She was out of it. This 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 gal was plastered. I'm surprised her husband didn't say, you know what, honey, we're we're getting out of here. Tommy's sitting there. I'm sitting there, and Tony's sitting there. She looks over. And she looks at. She looks at Tony, and she swore she thought that was Jimmy. And she said, "Thank you so much, Jimmy, for inviting me." Oh no! no Tony no. looked at me. We looked at Tommy and stuff. And <laughs> Tony goes, goes, goes. Yeah, no problem, man. No problem. She's sitting there like this, just, just all, just all. I mean, she's plastered. She looks over at Tommy and says, "Who are you?" And Tommy goes, I'm Jimmy's bodyguard. And he uh -oh. goes, and she turns and she looks at me and she said, well, who's him? And I look at Tommy. Tommy looked uh -huh. at me and Tommy goes, that's my bodyguard. Yep. 
unbelievable. Well, you know, <laughs> these things happen. These things happen, and uh, you know, people have a little too much to drink. Everything looks great and sounds million dollar. You know, yeah. y'all sound great. Y'all are great. Well, you know what? We haven't played for twenty minutes. Well, you're sounding great. <laughs> and we're not even playing. You know, it's still ringing in their ears. Yeah. So no, and- I don't. I, we encountered a lot of that in the gentries. I never forget we were playing one place and. It snowed. We played up in, uh, again, Huntington, West Virginia. Here we go again. Really super nice hotel, though, a European-style hotel, uh, eight-story hotel, real nice. But a big uh, snowstorm came in, a big blitz. And uh, so the first night that we played, uh, we had a gig at the hotel there. We were in the ballroom of the hotel feature, Uh Gentry's. And uh, this... It snowed out, and only one uh, one guy made it up there. There's maybe three people in the audience that night because nobody could get there. The roads were completely like two feet deep of snow, and you know he couldn't make it, couldn't get out. Right. So, right. but we played anyway. We were contract too, so we went ahead and played for the the staff and whoever, which is kind of fun. And uh, I guess we probably really had probably forty people in there or whatever. But uh, this one guy sat up front, and he was plastered like that. And we kept playing, and every time we'd end a song, bump, and end a song, he would he'd holler, hey, y'all, play Sleigh Ride. Play Sleigh Ride, he says. And we go, we ignored him for quite a while, but then he got worse and worse and worse. And he's a big old guy, looked like a wrestler, you know, like he could do some damage. And yeah. they had a security guard there, and the security guard was getting antsy. He was getting closer to him, you know, ready to pull a gun on him or something, you know, and. So finally, the guy said, play Sleigh Ride. So we went, okay. And we played Sleigh Ride. And he went, no, no, I don't mean that Sleigh Ride. I mean that other Sleigh Ride. And so we went, oh, yeah, we know what he wants. We went, come on and take a Sleigh Ride. You know, by Edgar Winter, (laughs) free ride. Yeah. (laughs) And we sang Sleigh Ride on. And this old boy was in heaven. All of a sudden, he was compliant and. He was so touched and lovable. I mean, it was unbelievable. Complete change in his personality. <laughs> and uh, so we sang, we did Free Ride by Edgar Winter. We sang Come On and Take It. Instead of a free ride, we sang Come On and Take a Sleigh Ride. <laughs> this guy, and the guy wound up giving us a $100 tip. That's the kicker of the story. Oh, no way he did. He, yeah. Yeah, this uh, this guy, you didn't think he might have a dang dime on him. <laughs> and the guy put a $100 bill oh, in a tip thing out there. Damn. That's, that's yeah. great, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were hired on a contract, but we had a tip jar because what we did is we took most of the tip. We took half the tips and divided it between the servers and gave them an extra boost, you know. Oh, that's that's It's cool. really more, it's more for them than us. We were, we were already making good money, but. Yeah, you know, and if you remember, most uh, bars and stuff always had a tip jar, no matter who's playing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so anyway, yeah. So the old boy put a hundred dollar bill in there, and we like to died. I mean, wow. I, we asked him, "You want to hear it again?" And we played it again for it. <laughs> you know, it's like, "Come on, take a sleigh ride." <laughs> <laughs> you didn't. You didn't do it like. Um, you didn't end up sitting there like. Remember the Blues Brothers? Remember that first gig they played at that country western yeah. bar? The only yeah. song they played was Raw. 
Yeah, the good old boys. Well, first they started with some other stuff, and they threw the bottles and everything, and then yeah. then they broke into Rawhide, and they really threw the bottles because they loved them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember that? The good old boys. Remember, they pretended to be the good old boys, and then they, they left, and the good old boys showed up, and the guy said, uh, it's uh, Bob's Country Bunker. I've been in it. It's a, an attraction on the Universal Tour, and I used to take my friends that came to Hollywood to visit me out on the tour, and and they took you right to the bunker. And really? you could go down inside it and everything. It was cool. Oh, nice. But uh, nice. Uh, Bob's Country Bunker. But anyway, yeah, so then the good old boys show up in their cowboy outfits. And this guy says, who are you, y'all? He says, well, we're the good old boys. The good old boys? Well, they were just here. <laughs> what? And then they, were the, they chased them in that uh, Winnebago, and uh, they flipped it. Yeah, you know, yeah. they're trying to go around a curve about 100 mile an hour, and it flipped out, and all the good old boys were sprawled on the highway. <laughs> that was a, that's a really great movie. That was made at, yes. you know, while I was living out in Hollywood. Oh yeah, that's one one of my favorite one of my favorite movies. And someone could probably correct me if I'm wrong, but it still holds to record. I think I believe I told this to you before. I told someone this a while back ago. This said, uh uh. I said, yeah, it does. It still holds the record in movie history for the biggest car crashes or the most car crashes in cinematic history. It still holds that record after all these years. Yeah. I think the second one, Blues Brothers 2000, tried to do it, and it just it did. Yeah, it didn't justify it. The first one still no. holds that record, man. It well, if does. you remember, they they drove them over the top of each other, like at about sixty miles an hour. They weren't doing twenty five miles an hour. They were flying. Yeah, launching. Yeah. They were launching over one another, crashing up, and that's yeah, it's nuts. That's nuts, like sending those cars and stuff, though. But it it made up because I didn't yeah. find out till years later when I got older that they, for one car stunt or scene or something, they would use about like three or four different type models or, or different, yeah. same car, but three, like four or five of the same models just for the shoot a scene. They would, I yeah, well, they you know, uh, Jim Garner was a top Hollywood stuntman driver to start with. And they call that spin around thing they do, they call it doing a Rockford. He invented that. And they had a stunt driver they hired for the Rockford Files, and he, he couldn't do what uh, Garner could do. So they got rid, uh, uh, got rid of him. Of course, they, they were worried about the risk of him flipping or killing himself, but, man, he was dynamite. And he, and he always used... For those technophobes out there, uh, Jim Garner said he always used wanted the Firebird because the Firebird has almost 50-50 balance. Uh, okay. It's balanced closer to 50 front, 50 rear balancing than the Chevy 350. The engine sits back on the frame a little closer to the driver's compartment. So that gives it closer to a 50-50 ratio of weight front to rear. And that's perfect for what you need for spinning them and sliding them out and whatever. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes that makes sense right there. That makes sense because they it actually you can you can actually do what you need to do with them. That's Yeah, that's the thing and he that. he could do it. He was a fabulous stunt driver, uh Jim Garner. So yeah. uh they got rid of the the uh, stunt driver no good. They got rid of him. He couldn't do what Garner could do. They tried the best person they could come up with in the industry couldn't equal him. You, so he did his own uh, driving in, in the Rockford Files. So all those uh, stunts that you see, is he's behind the wheel. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah. You yeah. Mm-hmm. You met Jim Gardner. Yeah, I worked with him at Glen Glen Sound in Hollywood. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Tell me tell tell me about tell me about that if uh. Yeah. Well, uh, Jim Garner is a, a great guy. He was injured in uh, the World War II, and um, excuse me, not World War II, but I guess it was maybe the Korean War, whatever was after that. But he was injured, Korea? and he, uh, uh, Korea, uh, yeah, a, a shrapnel, yeah, uh, caught the side of his jaw underneath, and he got an honorable discharge. Okay. So uh, he he went into uh, uh, decided to go into stunt work. You know, okay. Hollywood, right, and whatever. But uh, really, a great person, and he was doing uh, Missioner's Space Epic. It was on, I think, HBO. Had it was a, I can't remember exactly. Um, it was a multi-mini series thing, and it was about the space program and the astronauts and stuff and everything. And he was a the lead character, but. Uh, really a great guy, really a big guy. Like he's uh, about the same height as Hulk Hogan. Okay. Big fella, tall, real tall. And uh, but I really enjoyed uh, wor- working with him because uh, you know the Rockford Files and everything. I'd watch them a lot and all that. And my mom and dad liked the movie Tank that he was in with Sally uh, Field. Uh huh. Yeah. And uh, you know uh, he was just a, a great person and really gracious person and uh, no big-headed uh, superstar, even though he was a superstar of film and television both. Uh, he never had that kind of air about him. He was just like uh, talking to the regular guys out here at the racetrack or something, you know, at the, down there at the 500. You know, he's like one of those guys that works the pits or something. Yeah, yeah. That's... Yeah, that's, real nice guy. That's mm-hmm. that's awesome. Just, uh, yeah, it was... It was uh, yeah, World War One, World War Two, and uh, yeah, Korea, and then Viet Vietnam. Yeah. 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 He was part of that Korean thing. Uh, I remember when uh, they had the draft going for the Vietnam War, and uh, I went down and pre-registered with the Air Force, to, and they were going to put me in charge of the Air Force band. Really? Because I could read music and and everything, and understood about orchestra and stuff, and. Uh, so I was ready to go, but then my number came up, and it was about 300, so no way they were ever going to take me. And they couldn't take me anyway because I have a bad back, and I was born with it, and, you know, they wouldn't have uh, taken me anyway. Yeah. You yeah. Know, I uh, I had a friend I had a friend who said who wanted to join the military so bad that they went in, and they went to join the military, and they could not, the they turned them down. And he was so disappointed, devastated, and he threw a fit about it. This is around uh-huh. towards the end of high school, and he was so upset about it that he's like, "I don't know what I'm gonna do now. I wanted to join the military. I wanted to just." And it was like, "Well, why did they not take you?" He said because yeah. he was flat-footed. Yeah, my brother uh, uh, Walter, he, my elder brother Walter McGuire, he he's flat-footed, and he that classification is called 4F. Uh-huh. He was a 4F, and the only way that people like he or I would see any kind of service in a world catastrophe or something is they might. Uh, of course, I'm retirement age now, yeah. but uh, if I was below retirement age, the only things that we would have done, we would have worked in an office or something. You know, you know had a desk job. Right. Right. It was funny because never I would, seen the front. 
never see the front line, never see no action. Which, no, no. Which, which some people that that's great, but there you got other ones out there that just they wanted all that action, man, just on the front line. <laughs> they did. Yeah, they love all that. Yeah, they do. <laughs> well, everybody in my family was in military except for now my brother Walter, the flat feet though. Uh, he uh, was in ROTC in college, you know. But uh, I, you know, I'm the only one of all our family—my father and my two brothers—that uh, you know, my uncles and everybody, you know, and my both sides of the family, my mother's side and then my dad's side were all military people. I was the only non-military person in our family. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I almost, I almost joined, I almost joined the military right, right around my senior year of high school. My senior year of high yeah, school. Yeah, that's when it is. Yeah, that's when they were hitting on me. They came to the school and convinced me to come down there and uh, sign up. You know. Yeah, yeah. the The last year of high school, it seems like every branch of the military, every college wanted you. I went on this one college mm-hmm. tour to the college check out the college everything everything is great stuff it's they threw papers in front of you here it's like here sign up you're gonna come to this college i'm like everyone was like okay start signing the papers i look at this papers and i look and it's like i'm gonna take these home they they were Mm -hmm. like devastated these guys were devastated they were they were they they get they got pissed at me jj (laughs) they said you you just need to sign these papers i said I'm going to take these home and let my parents look at them, and I just want to make sure they're... No, you need to sign them. I said, I'm not signing nothing. I'm not joining Oh, yeah, college. they pulled up here, too. Uh, yeah. And then they, they worked on me real hard after my number even came up low. They said, well, you can still enlist, you know. And and uh, I said, well, I've got a bad back, and I don't think... He said, no, if you're going to lead the band, uh, they can work it out. Yeah. They were desperate for me to join Pardon. Yeah, it was it was it was it was bad because these guys these guys they at the college here they were they were so pissed that I would not sign the papers that I was going to join come join the college. I said, yeah. "Well, I'm going to take this in consideration and I'm going to bring this stuff home and then I'm going to go over it with my parents." They they were no, they, they did not want to hear that. Here. They wanted to grab my hand and make me sign the damn paper. I said, I'm not signing. Yeah. I, I, they got mad at me because I said, I, and even the guidance counselors are like, Denver, you can't say that. I said, I ain't signing shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I told him that. I yeah, said, no, that was smart. Don't we, ever sign anything. We went, we got without back. Without knowing really that yeah. looking at it or having a lawyer look at it or something. Yeah, yeah they weren't going to sign up. The, they wanted to sign all this information out. I it just they were they were basically bending my hand to say you're going to come to our college and i hmm. said i said i'm looking at other colleges there's other colleges out here besides you and that's when i they tried to bend my hand and i said i ain't signing shit <laughs> They're like wait till you get back to school i'm like okay all right we'll go take me to the principal's office i'll tell him what happened so we got back to school <laughs> and as soon as we got off the bus it was like three o'clock. My bus that I drove at, uh, at the time before I got my license came up. I jumped off that bus and I ran. I got back on my bus. They were like, "Wait!" Whew, took off. The next day, they didn't say nothing. 
They didn't say nothing to me. I come back to school, they didn't say nothing. But I had every I had every branch of the military come in. I almost joined the Navy. I almost joined mm-hmm. the Navy, and that didn't work out. The Marines, I said to myself, I was like, no, no. Don't want the Marines. The Army, I was 50-50 on. Did someone talk to me about the Navy? And then I almost was about to join the Navy, but that didn't work out. But then at the last minute, someone said, you need to join the Air Force. I said, I don't like flying. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they said, you don't have to fly. I said, uh-huh. no, I don't like yeah. flying. And they said, well, you're on aircraft carriers out in the middle of the ocean. And I'm like, no. <laughs> and no. not my thing. And it's like, well, you join the Navy, you're going to be underwater in a submarine. And I was like, yeah. Because uh-huh. I, I was just being a smart ass to my friends. I said, yeah. I said, I wouldn't mind being in a submarine away from everybody because I was at that time, I was like, just wanted to just not be around people, antisocial. So I threw the uh-huh. antisocial thing out and said, yeah, good. I'm away from everybody. I don't have to see no one except the people that's there with me. But that didn't work out, and I never did uh, pursue it. Um, I had to go to summer school to finish high school. And by that time, I started working and got into the workforce, and I just never did pursue it. I never mm-hmm. did do it. Never did. Well, you know, we do different things. In we do one thing, and then we do something else, and that's all part of it. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, I always heard a lot of military stories because all my family, my grandfather, Dr. John D. McGuire, was a, a field surgeon in World War One, And uh, I had this mid pin that he wore on his hat, and uh, I still have that. I've kept that. Occasionally I put it on a hat and wear it, and people, some people come up to me and know what that is. Nice. It says U.S. on it, U.S., and it's in circles. It's all in brass. But anyway, but... Uh, so I don't know, but uh, it all goes on, and uh, I'm sorry that uh, we had three great stars pass away this week, um, Kirk mm-hmm. Douglas and Orson Bean and Robert Conrad in a uh, unique way and uh, brought a whole lot to entertainment, and really you talk about entertaining the people. Uh, those three guys right there were fat, were great entertainers. And Orson was a fabulous comedian, and brilliant writer as well uh, of course when enough said about kirk douglas you just mentioned that name it's like saying coca those are all yeah monikers and um you know and robert conrad wrote the book on action tv uh stuff yeah. arts and before bruce lee ever appeared or anything and he uh, brought a lot of unusual elements to the character um he dressed he was a professional flamenco dancer, by the way, and from Spain and everything. And uh, so he incorporated that into his outfit that he wore in the Wild West. He, yeah, he told did. the wardrobe people that he wanted to look like a flamenco dancer, you know, the tight pants and the waist cut uh, 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 jacket, vest jacket, and then uh, the bolero tie and uh, all that in the hat. And it was a great, great image. And, Great actor and uh, action actor and great actor wound up uh, when he played the G. Gordon Liddy story on an ABC uh, movie. Wow, he looked just like G. Gordon Liddy, and he really—you could see what the skills were. He was kind of one-dimensional in 
Wild Wild West, but he was supposed to be. Uh, yeah. But when he yeah. played G. Gordon Liddy, he really opened the, the doors up and, and uh, blew the roof off on that one. It's, uh, I advise people to uh, stream that or take a look at that movie. Uh, he did a fabulous job in that. And then, of course, Bye Bye Black Sheep, he was, uh, that was popular. Mm-hmm. He said mm-hmm. he liked that series more than the Wild Wild West and all the other series he had done. He liked uh, the Black Sheep series. Okay. But anyway, we lost, uh, point, point being made, we lost three really icons right there uh last it, week. we did we did sure it's did. it's just uh, just the beginning of the year it just seems like at the beginning of every year you lose one and then you lose another and then you lose another they come in three you ever hear the old saying um they mm-hmm. it comes in yeah, three and then a baby's born so be on the lookout mm-hmm. on who's going to be having a baby <laughs> right so that's that's all. Never know. You never know. You never know. But, you uh, never know. But uh, yeah. well, I hope people uh, will get my book, and uh, I promise you that you'll have a fun read on it. And it and it's a, a pretty quick read. It isn't going to take you uh, three or four uh, days to read the book. Uh, you can read the book probably in a whole afternoon and an evening uh, if you desire. And uh, from what I've been told and what I thought reading the book, uh, I read the book and I think it's talking about somebody I don't know that I've just first read about, even though it's me. Uh, <laughs> the way John Cosper, uh, the author, uh, put it all, the facts and everything together is just an unbelievable job, fabulous. And uh, like I say, I think there's some some enlightenment in there for everybody and you'll get a kick out of it. And uh, um yeah. I think it'll be uh, you know something enjoyable for everybody I've talked to. Uh, really enjoyed reading it. They tell me that they had a good time reading the book, and that's what I wanted people to do: have a good time. Exactly, exactly. And and uh, if you haven't picked my it up, life you, in Heaven Town, yeah, John, you uh, you and John John Cos, Cosper, they uh, yeah. Both, well, you both wrote it there, and uh, he just finished Tracy Smothers' book, by the way. Uh, oh, okay, okay. And that's going to be available, and uh, he's uh, he was interviewing. I did some sh- uh, show with Tracy, where uh, you know I did a program where you know I actually uh, argued with him, and you know I had a pretty big spot and everything, and yeah, one of independent shows, and uh, yeah. uh, that was a dream come true for me. Uh, you know, I'd like to uh, thank Dennis Spradlin on that one. Uh, he was the booker for that program, and uh, it's real nice of him to, uh, you know, include me in a angle with uh, the great Tracy Smothers. You know, and uh, I was very thrilled about that. And I realized after I did that that I didn't think there was going to be much more that I could do that would top that. Right. So that's one of the reasons that I left. Uh, KZW is uh, because I wanted to promote my book and my music and all that. But uh, I really appreciate the chance to uh, work with the legendary Tracy Smothers. And the beauty about Tracy is many beauties, but uh, he really has enjoyed sharing his wealth of experience with newcomers and semi-pros and, you know, the independent, a lot of independent people that are just getting going and learning the craft and whatever. Uh, He's really been fabulous on helping those people and enlightening them and helping them with their careers and so forth. And I just was really uh, appreciative to work with with, uh, Tracy. But Tracy's not in good health. He's uh, got cancer and uh, he's uh, taking treatments and whatever, but still making appearances. But 
I really wish him well, and I hope that uh, that he can beat it. And uh, if anybody could, I think Tracy Smothers would be the guy that could. Yes. So. Yes. But uh, I just wanted to shout that out there of how I enjoyed uh, working with Tracy, and he's a wonderful individual and a legendary wrestler as well. He is. He is. He he is. He's a great talent, and I remember that angle there that you worked there in KZW, and that's something that's basically would be on that uh, you can check off your bucket list right there, JJ. That you've you got to work. Yeah, with that's what I thought. I, I thought, wow, yeah. getting to do that. Uh, you know, I got to do stuff with Hulk Hogan, and then I got to do stuff with Tracy Smothers, and got to do some stuff with Honky Tonk Man and Demolition and Nasty Boys and. You know, I've I've been fortunate to be able to do a lot of different things with a lot of different talents, and uh, yeah. I sure do appreciate it. And I'm I'm glad that I could offer something to it. So that's my story, I guess. Yeah, that's a, that's amazing. I like that. Now talking about appearances stuff and going and promoting your book, you got you have some upcoming appearances here coming up here. And I know you you sent me a text today about one appearance though, but here next month on around the same, uh, actually on the same date as the Podcast C Network's two year show. I know you're not going to be able to make it this year though, but um, we'll we'll be we'll be pouring a tall glass and toasting you and wishing you were you were there this year for the two year show though. But where are you going to be at March seventh? next month where you, where are you going to be at? Uh, march the 7th uh i'm supposed to be at the big event in new york city and um uh, i haven't i haven't got the final call back on that just yet but as it stands i'm supposed to be there but i it isn't confirmed completely but uh either way whether i'm there or not it's going to be one of the greatest shows because uh they're going to have um uh, undertaker and bret hart and jimmy hart's going to be there and uh, everybody that's anybody, and I'm the only person <laughs> that may not be there, but I don't know yet. I'm waiting to confirm that. But uh, so that's 50-50ish right now. But now in March or in uh, on March the 26th, I'm going to be on a, a podcast program called Wrestling the Future with Angelo DiCipio, and um, I'm going to be on with Conway Twitty's daughter. Uh, on that show, she's a Conway Twitty's daughter is a, a prolific songwriter herself and whatever. And we're going to it's going to be a songwriter show, and we're going to be uh, talk about songwriting and so on. And then I'm going to be back at a later date, probably a month and a half or so later. Uh, I'm going to be on a show on the same on the Wrestling the Future podcast uh, with JJ Dillon. It's going to be the two JJs. Nice. I'm looking forward to that, man. You have a lot of great things going on, and as always, I am so happy that you called in tonight to take time out and just talk and just come on the show and just your presence. I love having your presence on this show here and just looking at the live stream here tonight because I'm live streaming live on twitch.tv slash podcast C network. And I'm also streaming on my Facebook page, the Everett Lee show. A lot of, a lot of uh, comments in the chat on, uh, from Facebook there and a lot of views on Twitch, which, uh, I want to thank even, even on Facebook live. I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight here on the Everett Lee show 
as always with um jj mcguire this is makes your third appearance man uh you right now are tied with uh a couple of my other guests for the most appearance here on this show. If I get you back on again, <laughs> you will beat them. <laughs> well, <laughs> well uh, I'm yeah. just glad to be on. You know, yeah. I enjoy telling the stories and sharing, you know, the experiences with people because uh, a lot of people wonder about a lot of these things, and uh, I enjoy uh, talking about it. It's, it's fun to talk about, and I'm just appreciative that people even uh, care and uh, want to hear about it. You know, I really do, and I want to thank everybody for you know, listening to our, our wrestling themes through the years, 114 themes that I wrote and with Jimmy Hart co-producing. And, you know, I uh, just want to thank everybody for making a dream come true for me as well. Thank you all very much. And you too, Everett Lee. You're welcome, man. You're welcome. We all love you. We all love you. And one, one thing that we all do love is for the fact that on March 7th, we're going to have the two-year anniversary show, as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, with our hometown mm-hmm. throwdown with Seven Kingdoms on March Yes, 7th. sir. Seven Kingdoms. Saturday, yes. March 7th. And uh, you're in the area. Please stop by and say hello to the Podcast Scene Network crew. And, and have that grilled cheese sandwich at City Tap Room. It's excellent. It's excellent. It's a it's a beauty. It's an absolute beauty. You go well. What can be great about a cheese sandwich? Go to City Tap Room and you'll find out. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Jim over there at City Tap Room. He's the man. He not only can when they say Jim can really cook, he really can cook. He can. He can. Yeah. He. Yes, I mean, sir. Gourmet cooking, brother. I tell you what. For grilled food, this is gourmet time. Exactly, it is, yep. and you can you can taste it. JJ JJ McGuire's yeah. approval. So head over to City Limits Tap Room on right. Saturday, March seventh, for the Seven Kingdoms hometown throwdown, and say hello to the Podcast City Network crew as we celebrate our two year anniversary being the network. And speaking cool. of networks. You can find more podcasts over on podcastc.net, your top source for independent podcasting. Follow them on Facebook, Podcast City Network. Send them a tweet over on Twitter, at Podcast City Net. And subscribe to their YouTube channel, Podcast City Network. And right here on twitch.tv slash Podcast City Network, give a follow and a, and a like for notifications when Podcast City Network goes live on Twitch. More of the Everett Lee Show on social media over on Facebook, the Everett Lee Show. Twitter, send me a tweet over on Twitter at the Everett Lower Score Lee. Follow me on Instagram, Everett Lee Show, and audio podcast from this podcast and previous release podcast. Head over to the YouTube channel of Everett Lee Show. Stitcher Radio, download that app, give a five star rating and a review. iTunes. Apple Podcast, give a five-star rating and a review. And over on podbeam.com, right there, everyleeshow.podbeam.com. Be sure to download the Podbeam app to your phone. I did, and I have it on my phone. And you can find my podcast on there, Everyleeshow, Show, and a lot more podcast on the Podbeam app. Please download that. 
and follow The Everett Lee Show and subscribe and get notifications when new episodes come out. Look for, in the future, bonus content. Be sure to follow the bonus content that will be coming out on Podbeam, on everleeshow.podbeam.com. So be sure to do that. And ladies and gentlemen, that is it for the Everett Lee Show podcast for this Tuesday night here, ladies and gentlemen. I am out of here. I want to thank my guest, Hurricane J.J. McGuire, and I want to thank everyone for tuning in and viewing tonight. Everett Lee Show, have a, a great night. We'll see you again next week for another episode. Peace.